on air for Fan for Racing Radio, and this week we are doing our Charlotte NASCAR Weekend Preview and Hot Topic Sound Off. This is actually Thursday, May the 25th, and uh, joining me for today's show is our co-host, Jay Huseman. Welcome to the show, Jay. Good afternoon. How are we doing today? Well, uh, we're doing all right. And uh, just to give a preview of uh, the show here, in our first half hour, we are going to start with some short track news, and then we'll review, because we didn't do the show on Monday, we are going to do the review uh, incorporated in today's show. We're going to review the Arco East Race at Black Rock Speedway, and then we'll preview the Arca Menard Series at Charlotte Motor Speedway with an Arca West Series update. In our second half hour, we're going to review the NASCAR Truck Series and the Cup Series races at North Wilkesboro Speedway, and afterward, we will preview the NASCAR Truck Series race at Charlotte. In our third half hour, we previewed at Xfinity and the Cup Series races of NASCAR at Charlotte Motor Speedway, and then, of course, stay tuned for our Hot Topic Sound Up discussion with our Fan for Racing crew, and Mike will be joining us for Hot Topics today, Jay. Yeah, I saw that. I'm glad he is available, too. I know during the afternoon, uh, do it during the lunch break or whatever else he got going on, so, and we got some good Hot Topics. I know we've been going back and forth already last night and this morning. Yep, I'm uh, looking forward to it. But let's go ahead and start off with uh, some dirt news and then some short track news that we have here. Uh, Donnie Schatz got it back to victory lane for the first time in the 2023 World of Outlaws Sprint Car Series season, and that was at Attica Speedway. Uh, I'm sorry, Attica Raceway Park. You can read about that uh, over at WorldOfOutlaws.com. They won again the following night at Sharon Speedway to sweep the series. Uh, that was the Ohio race weekend. And, again, all of that is available at worldofoutlaws.com. Well, also on worldoutlaws.com, you got the late models, the super late models of the World of Outlaws Super Late Models, Ryan Gustin picked up a victory for his, in his 100th series start, and that was at Marion County, or Marion Center Raceway, sorry, covered by Mike Warren. Unfortunately, Mother Nature comes back and wins, though, raining out the festivities at Port Royal Speedway. Okay, and uh, again, you can read about all of that uh, in the update uh, of when that race may run at theworldofoutlaws.com. Kyle Larson won for the first time in his own high-limit sprint car series tour at Wayne County Speedway. Dan Beaver writes about that over at NBC Sports. Richie Murray on USAC Media covering Brady Bacon as he stood tall in the USAC Silver Count action. That was at Belleville High Banks. And Ryan Timms opened the USAC's National Midget Championship season with a win at the same Belleville track. Again, uh, Richie Murray covers that at USAC Media. Zach Dom was another one, followed that up with his first USAC Midget since 2014. Again, that was at the same track of Belleville. 
And once again, Jacob Denny wrapped up the USAC Midgets weekend with a Sunday victory at Sweet Springs Motorsports Complex. It was a good weekend to be Ricky Thornton. He took the Lucas Oil Late Model Dirt Series race at 300 Raceway and uh, then followed that with another series victory at 34 Raceway to eclipse the $100,000 in earnings on the year. You can read about that over at LucasDirt.com. On AllStarSprint.com, there we've got Tyler Altmer covering them. Zeb Weiss scored in Friday night's All-Star Circuit of the Champions race, and that was at Outlaw Speedway. But then Mother Nature came back, uh, wiped out the ensuing race at Fonda, Fonda Speedway. But the series did race Sunday. That was at Weed Sports Speedway with Corey Ellison bringing home the win. Okay. Moving on to some short track news. We've got Brendan Butterbean Queen, Bubba Pollard, and Augie Grill topped a host of NASCAR contenders to win in Wednesday's Wednesday's triple header for the Cars Tour and ASA at North Wilkesboro Speedway. I believe we did talk about that on our preview show last week, uh, but now you can read about it over at Short Track Scenes. And the trio of these stellar events elevated and showcased uh, short track racing at the historic track. Matt Weaver covers that on short track scene, as well as the Milwaukee Mile, as that has replaced the Slinger Nationals on the ASA Stars Tour schedule due to a rules package between Slinger and the series. Now, things okay. got a little messy uh, at yep, Hickory Speedway. Talk. Oh, you got I'll that one? Okay. Things, things did get messy over at Hickory Motor Speedway. I read a lot about this on uh, Twitter afterwards. Annabelle, Annabeth Crumb crashed Landon Huffman under caution and kicked off a scuffle between Robert Huffman and Jake Crumb on the spotter stand. Uh, Clark Houston, by the way, won the race, and Matt Weaver uh, talks about all of that and more, including uh, Tim Brown and Dan Spini took victories at uh, Bowman Gray Stadium. Uh, and again, Matt Weaver talks about both of those uh, situations over at Short Track Scene. So a lot going on in the Short Track arena. Well, and that's what you get with short track racing, although I don't know that I have necessarily heard of a spotter scuffle before. <laughs> no, that's it. That's, I have not seen a spotter scuffle before. I've heard them go over to the pit box, but not the spotter. Um, yeah, Jake Crum was not happy. Annabeth Barnes were not, was not happy, and Landon Huffman and Robert Huffman, unfortunately, were the recipients of their uh, unhappiness. So, uh, and and it really is uh, kind of sad because uh, I think Annabeth uh, uh, Barnes-Crum is a good racer, but she kind of let her emotions get the best of her at that race, as did her husband. Um, do you have anything else you want to make sure we cover on the short track scene? Or any of the no, other things? Yeah, going to Racing America, I know we got a big race coming there for the Tar Heel, was it 250? Let me make sure I got that right. I know that's kind of, there we go. Um, the Tar Heel 250 at Hickory coming up, 
big list of names again as we got not only the normal field of late model drivers, but Chase Elliott and William Byron are going to be in that full field as well. Okay, so that's going to be uh, a lot to uh, look forward to. Um, and I don't know, well, we did talk about that, so I'm not going to bring that up. Um, uh, Tony Raines and uh, Jeff Neal are named guests of honor for the ASA Stars Tour at Hickory Speedway. So uh, that's kind of interesting. A lot of people will recognize the name of Tony Raines. Uh, that race, by the way, uh, was is today. So you'll be able to watch that race over at Racing America. You certainly want to check it out, and that's another great. I know right now we're looking a lot at history, but Tony Raines going back to the original ASA American Speed Association series, um, one of those stellars in that series that moved up into the NASCAR's top three ranks. So that's cool to see him being a part of that. And then that race is the Tar Heel 250 at Hickory Motor Speedway. Again, it takes place uh, tonight, uh, May 25th. I'm looking to see if I can see a time here. I don't see a time uh, for the race. But um, it, it's, it's uh, going to be a good one to watch. Uh, and you can find out everything you need to know except for the time, I guess. Oh, here it is. Uh, the race actually starts at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time. So uh, you can find all the information you need to know about that race over at Racing America. And just real quick, I named a couple of the NASCAR stars, but you got William Salwich uh, from the East Series. We'll talk about Derek Krause, Carson Hosler, Casey Roderick, Jesse Love, uh, Bubba Pollard's going to be in it, Caden Kavapel, Jake Finch, Stephen Nasty, and Tyler Maj- or Ty Majeski. Uh, just a few of the names that are on that list. You talk about a pa- uh, packed race. Uh, that's going to be an interesting one for sure. It definitely is. So uh, that's why we kind of highlighted it here. Uh, now moving over to flow racing, I want to make sure we cover some articles over here. Um, Tezo's all-star sprints are set for a Monster Memorial Day weekend. So that's coming up this weekend, and there's a kind of a little preview of it, oh, about four minutes and five seconds over at uh, flow racing if you want to check that out. And it's a big weekend for the Lucas Oil Late Model Series Championship as the eliminations begin for the Show Me 100 there in Missouri. Big weekend of racing all the way around here on Memorial Day weekend. Hopefully we don't have to talk about Mother Nature winning any of them. I hope not. Mother Nature has been a big part of the racing season uh, so far this year. So um, that's going to be... I hope this is a a rain-free weekend. Okay, the biggest pavement car count in 18 years is set for the Silver Crown Hoosier 100. So uh, that's pretty – it's one of their largest uh, entry lists that they've had. Uh, That race – let me see if – let's see. Friday, the Lucas Oil Indianapolis Raceway Park spectator gates open at 3, practice and qualifying at that time. 
uh, qualifying at 5.15, and then the race starts at 6.35 p.m., and that race, uh, again, is going to be a lot of fun to watch. You can get advanced tickets to it or uh, pick up your tickets there at the gate. If I were traveling or in that area, I certainly would go to that uh, Indianapolis Raceway Park or Lucas Oil Raceway Park, whatever it's called now. Uh, one of those bucket list tracks if you're in or around that area. Mm-hmm. Definitely. All right. Uh, let's see if we've got anything else we want to make sure we mention here. Do you see anything else you want to mention, Jay? No, I don't think so, and I know we already covered quite a bit from Short Track Scene, as that's the other one we get a lot of information from uh, by several writers, so I think we covered most of those already. I think so. Uh, there are some feature articles over there if you want to check those out. Cody Swanson, A Silver Crown Heart, Silver Crown's Heart and Soul, uh, that's available over at Short Track Scene. And then What's in a Name? This isn't the track of champions, but it's capable of producing its own legacy. So uh, a couple of really great uh, articles over there if you want to check those out. And let me see. Wilkes takes takeaways in the commentary section and then uh, unpacking everything from the ASA Stars Tour at Madison. So uh, a couple of commentary articles always available at uh, Short Track Scene as well. All right, let's go ahead and move on to the Arkham Menard series. Uh, because we didn't have the show on Monday, we are going to do, start with a review of the Arca East race at Flat Rock Speedway. So William Solowich actually won that race uh, for his second East Series victory of uh, 2023. So uh, that's uh, pretty cool. I haven't seen uh, the race results yet up at uh, fan, at uh, arcaracing.com, but uh, we can go through this article and see if we can kind of give you some of the highlights of the race uh, for sure. Well, Solowich took the lead from the general tire pole award winner, uh, Sean Hinagrani, with uh, 48 laps remaining and led the rest of the way to take the win. And, yeah, we're going to cover some serious best finishes here as well. Okay. I I wonder if we're on the same page here. Um, well, I was going off the notes you had sent me uh, with. Uh, oh, that's right. I did. Okay, let me go over there. Well, okay, you're that's pulling right. that up. I did. Lavar Scott. Yeah, LeVar Scott scored his best career series finish, crossing the line in second. He also notched his best career qualifying effort, lining up outside the front row for the start of the race. Uh, good news for LeVar Scott there. And we've talked a lot about him as well as had him here on the show. Hinegrani finished third, which is his best career East finish, after leading a 102, 102 laps from the pole. Now, Hinegrani is a two-time Arkham Menard Series West winner already in 2023 and now leaps to third in the East standings as he chases both series championships. 
Yep, that's uh, very cool. Also on our show last week, uh, Venturini Motorsports co-owner Billy Venturini made his return to the cockpit after a 17-year absence. He finished a competitive fourth place in his first East Series start. Uh, so that was pretty cool. It was. He knew he was going to be there. He said he was just there for fun, but we knew he was going to have yeah. a car and drive the wheels off of it. And he did. Uh, Nashville. Nashville, yes, he did. Uh, Nashville winner Luke Fenhouse rounded out the top five. That was his fourth top five uh, finish of the season. And Zachary Tinkle matched his career best finish at sixth. The first driver one lap down at the finish. <clears throat> Another one making his East Series debut, just the East Series, was Will Kimmel as he came home in eighth and bringing home his Father Bill's number 69 entry. The last time the Kimmel family entered the number 69 at Flat Rock was 1979, and that was with the family patriarch Bill Kimmel scoring a, one of his three Arkham Menard Series victories. Okay, and I'll take what we skipped. Tim Monroe earned his best career finish in seventh, and then the local favorite, Jeffrey McZink from nearby Brownstown Township, Michigan, finished ninth in his first East appearance. He was driving the same car that was involved in a crash in 2022, Arkham Menard Series finale at Toledo Speedway, uh, which was finally finished earlier in the week. So that's some interesting things going down there. And Derek McGrew, Jr., who's a regular in the Supercar Dirt Car Series, he rounded out the top ten in his first East Series start, driving for Tim and Rita Goulet's Rise Motorsports team. And Jeff Smith made his first Arkham Art Series platform start at Flat Rock on August 8th in 1987. His second start came 13,069 days later, or 35 years, 9 months, and 12 days, the all-time record for the time elapsed between a driver's first and second career starts. That's amazing. That is really interesting. Now, Salwich uh, continues to lead the Arkham Menard Series East Champion Point standings and opened up a 13-point advantage over Fenhouse now in second. As mentioned, Hirani jumps to third, just 22 points out of the lead, with Scott now one point out of third. And then rounding out the top five is Tinkle uh, with 32 points behind. The next four races for the Arkham Menard Series East will be combination races with the Arkham Menard Series. Uh, next up, of course, is the East Race at Calypso Lemonade 150 at Iowa Speedway on Saturday, July the 15th. The race will be televised live on Fox Sports 1 starting at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Okay, so that's uh, pretty cool. Uh, let's uh, go ahead and move over to our preview now of the General Tire 150 at Charlotte Motor Speedway this weekend. In fact, it's tomorrow, Friday, May the 26th at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Flow Racing will have live streaming available at 6 p.m. Eastern. They'll be driving a distance of 100 laps over 150 miles. And the General Tire 150 is the fifth race of the 2023 Arkham Nard Series season. 
They're coming up on a quarter way through there. There have been three winners in the four previous races. You got Greg Van Alst won the season opener at Daytona International Speedway. Tyler Reif won at Phoenix Raceway in the combination race with the Arkham Menard Series West. And then Jesse Love has won the last two races, both at Talladega Super Speedway and Kansas Speedway. Love now has a two-point advantage over Hollywood superstar-turned-race-car driver Frankie Munoz in the Arkham Menard Series Championship point standings. Munoz will be making his first start at Charlotte Motor Speedway. His only previous start on a 1.5-mile intermediate oval was the last time out at Kansas Speedway where he finished eighth. And Daytona winner Greg Van Alst is currently fourth in the standings, but he's returning to the site of his best 2022 finish. He finished fifth last year at Charlotte. Andres Perez de Lara finished sixth at Kansas Speedway, his first finish outside of the top five in 2023. He's currently fifth in the Arkham Menard Series standings. Tony Constantino is racing for a new team in 2023, Tomeo Constantino Racing. He has flirted with the top ten in all four starts so far this season with the best finish of 11th at Talladega Super Speedway. He finished a career-best ninth at Charlotte just last year. Well, Christian Rose enters the general tire 150, coming off his first top 10 finish of the season, which was ninth at Kansas Speedway. Sean Corr looks to rebound from a tough week at Kansas Speedway. He finished among the top five at both Daytona and Talladega, but he finished 10th at Charlotte in 2022. So, uh, It's going to be a fun race to watch. It will be televised on Fox Sports 1, and uh, fans will not want to miss the General Tire 150 this Friday. That's tomorrow night at 6 p.m. Eastern Time out at Charlotte Motor Speedway and on Fox Sports 1. Um, It's... uh, They do have an entry list for the General Tire 150 at... uh, at uh, Charlotte, and it looks like it's a long one. Let's go from the bottom up. All right, let me hop over there. I hadn't counted these up, but we'll see what we got here. I know you said and mentioned it is a good list. Uh, the 06 is going to be A.J. Moyer driving that Wayne Peterson number, or uh, Wayne Peterson Ford. Michael Peterson will be the crew chief for the River's Edge Cottages and RV Park.com. Brian Club is on top of the Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, Brian Club is on top of the pit box for Alex Club from Morris, Illinois. He'll be driving the 03 Echo Effect Ford for his own race team. And coming down from Framingham, Massachusetts, will be C.J. McLaughlin. He'll be in the number 01 Hillenburg Chevrolet with Ski Apps as the sponsor and Jay Howley as his crew chief. Todd Myers will be the crew chief for Grant Enfinger. He's driving the number 97 Grant Mulch County Mulch, Grant County Mulch Chevrolet for Cody Rohrbaugh. Uh, Grant Enfinger is from Fairhope, Alabama. And the number 93 is an Aaron Weaver-owned 
Chevrolet. We got Derek Kearns as the crew chief and Caleb Costner out of Dallas, North Carolina as the driver in the innovative Tiny Houses Lickety Loos. And driving the number 75 brothers, brother-in-law motorsport Chevrolet is Brian Dusat from Alexandria, Louisiana. He'll have Bob Rahilly on top of the pit box for that uh, Dusat-owned Chevrolet. Charles Buchanan also got his own machine there, driver and owner of the number 87 Chevrolet. Comes out of Meadows of Dan, Virginia. Going to bring Craig Wood along with him to help him out. Okay, that's not even on my list. <laughs> I show Andy DeCaliac will be in the number 73 from Buffalo, New York. He'll be driving the V1 Fiber Toyota for Kevin Lampier's team. Mike Dayton is on top of the pit box there. In the familiar yellow Cody Coughlin Company Jegs, number 72 will be driven by Cody Coughlin. And John Coughlin listed as the owner Kevin Reed going to be crew chief in that Ford. And Bill Kimmel uh, will be the crew chief for his own number 69, driven by Scott Melton from Rockford, Michigan. He'll be driving the Melton McFadden Agency Donna's Donuts Toyota this weekend. John Garrett out of Athens, Texas, will be in the number 66, listed with Dustin Hillenberg as the owner of that Chevrolet. Mike Schroof is going to be guiding the Venture Foods car. Who did you say is driving that car? John Garrett. Oh, okay. I thought you said somebody else. Okay, and the number 55 for uh, Venturini Motorsports is Tony Bridinger uh, from Hillsboro, California. She'll be driving the Rootley Toyota this weekend, and Caden Lapovich will be on top of the pit box. As usual, Brad Smith in his own number 48, Capriya Ford, coming out of Shelbyville or Shelby Township, Michigan. He's going to have Kobe Evans, though, in his ear. Tony Cassatino will be his own crew chief uh, for the Tomeo-owned uh, Chevrolet, number 45. Uh, Tony Cassatino hails from Mansfield, Ohio. He'll, his sponsor this week is the Gutter Team. Coming with his own uh, car and his own sponsor, Bay Fabricating will be on the side of the number 35 for Greg Van Alst out of Anderson, Indiana. Jim Long is his crew chief. Okay. And Christian Rose will be behind the wheel of the number 32, uh, Secure Testing Services Ford. He hails from Martinsburg, West Virginia, and uh, Ryan Landon is the crew chief on top of the Kevin Sawinski-owned Ford. The Tim Goulet Chevrolet, number 31, going to be driven this weekend by Stephen Light coming out of Asheville, North Carolina. The InspireRealChange.org is the sponsorship. All right. And uh, let's see here. Next up, we have uh, number 30, driven by Frankie Munoz from Scottsdale, Arizona. He'll be driving the Hair Club Ford for Rhett, uh, Mark Rett, and Mark Rett will be on top of the pit box for Frankie. And the number 25 back in a Venturini Toyota is Gus Dean out of Bluffton, South Carolina, with the Dean Custom Air Mobile One 
as well as Kevin Reed Jr. as his crew chief. All right. Um, and in the number 20 Venturini Motorsports uh, Toyota is Jesse Love from Redwood City, California. His sponsor is Gear Wrench. He'll have Shannon Rush on top of the pit box. Number 18, Joe Gibbs Toyota. That is Connor Mozak out of Charlotte, North Carolina. Got that always special Mobile One paint job. Matt Ross will be calling the shots for him. And guess what? We've got David Gilliland up on top of the pit box for the number 17 of Taylor Gray, hailing from Denver, North Carolina. He'll be driving uh, that that, uh, Gilliland Toyota for dead-on tools, and Johnny Gray is listed as the owner. Number 15, that'll be... Dean Thompson as the driver coming all the way out of Anaheim, California in that Venturini Toyota. Dave Weiner going to be calling the shots for the Thompson Pipe Group MCM Transportation. Tim Monroe will be on top of the pit box this week for the number 12 driven by Brian Laster from Greenwood, Indiana. He'll be driving the auto repair VinStickers.com Ford uh, for the Hillenbergs. And the Hillenburg Toyota, number 11, that's going to be driven by Stephanie Moyer out of Shepton, Pennsylvania. Got the GY6USA.com Victory Riding Academy on the side of the car. Top of the pit box will be Todd Parrott. Another uh, Hillenburg uh, Toyota, Dick Dohaney on top of the pit box for Ed Pompa behind the wheel of the number 10, High Torque of New York Turn 1 Condos Double H Ranch. He hails from Boston Spa, New York. And regular Sean Core is in the number eight of John Core. That Chevrolet sponsored by the Navy SEAL Foundation and NESCO comes out of Spring Valley, New York, and Mike Cheek is with him. Okay, C. Plattenberg is on top of the pit box for the Max Siegel Rev Racing number six, driven by Jack Wood from Loomis, California. He'll be behind the wheel of that Velocity Racing Chevrolet. And the last entry we got here, the other Max Siegel uh, Incorporated sponsored and owned is the number two of Andres Perez de Lara out of Mexico City, Mexico, and Jamie Jones, crew chief in that Chevrolet. All right. Next up, uh, we're going to be uh, going to our uh, review of the Truck Series race, as well as the Cup Series race out at uh, North Wilkesboro Speedway. Uh, Let's get started, I guess, with the... uh, The Truck Series... How come the truck series isn't on here, Jay? Did they race at uh, North Wilkesboro? Yep. Okay, we're starting with the truck series. Let me pull that up. Yeah, it should have. Uh, yeah, I'm going to go. Up. I forgot. Yeah, what I'm going to do is uh, go back. Uh, I'm going to head over. They don't have it up at uh, the media site. So I'm going to go okay. over to the Truck Series race at North Wilkesboro over at Jayski. Uh, Super Sub, 
Kyle Larson dominated that truck race at North Wilkesboro Speedway. Uh, he proved an admirable substitute on Saturday at North Wilkesboro, subbing for Alex Bowman, who was scheduled to race the number seven Spire Motorsports Chevrolet. He led 100. Uh, 38 of 252 laps, winning the Trison 250 in overtime. He's the first driver to win a NASCAR-sanctioned race at the revitalized North Wilkesboro Speedway in 27 years. Uh, the victory was Larson's third in 15 NASCAR Traffman's Truck Series starts. Uh, Kyle Larson, of course, the winner in that return to the uh, North Wilkesboro, the first of the season, the third of the uh, win of his Truck Series career, and he's the first driver to win at North Wilkesboro in 27 years. Majeski finished second, then it was Matt DiBenedetto, Carson Hosevar, Bubba Wallace, Corey Heim, Matt Crafton, Chase Purdy, Ross Chastain, and Bubba Wallace were the top ten. The pole sitter, uh, Corey Heim, led 75 laps. He won the opening stage. Larson won stage two and went on to lead a race high, 138 of 252 laps. There were six lead changes among five drivers and 12 cautions for 81 yellow flag laps. The average speed of the race, 68.769 miles per hour. We're going to go ahead and move right on over to the driver point standings because we also need to cover the open and the all-star race. So All let's right. Well, I'm trying to get this pulled up. Uh, I don't know why it won't pull up the truck series for me here on J-Ski. I can't get the page to come up at all. Okay. Well, let me go ahead and go over the points here for North Wilkesboro Speedway. Uh, right after that race, Corey Heim is your points leader by seven points over Ty Majeski. Then it's Zane Smith in third, Grant Infinger in fourth, followed by Christian Eckes to round out the top five. Ben Rhodes, Matt Crafton, Tanner Gray, Stuart Friesen, and Matt Benedetto round out the top ten. The highest uh, playoff points person is Christian Eckes. He has the two wins, so he has four stage wins, giving him 14 playoff points. And second place is your last year's winner, uh, champion, Zane Smith, with two wins and one stage win. Um, he has 11 playoff points. Those are the only drivers in double digits for playoff points. Uh, those drivers that are kind of on the uh, cusp include Carson Hosevar, Nick Sanchez, Chase Purdy, and Jake Garcia. Nick Sanchez, of course, your highest rookie, and he sits, let me just see, he sits uh, 12 points outside of that uh, last playoff spot. So it's going to be interesting to see how this continues to play out over the season. Next, we will go over to the um, Hup Series. Let me go to the All-Star uh, and Open page over here at JSC's. Um Okay. In the Open race, you had... Um, Josh Berry won the NASCAR All-Star Open for his first victory in the special non-points NASCAR Cup Series event. 
uh, Hendrick Motorsports' sixth victory in the NASCAR Open, the series most, in 23-12-05-2000, and 94. With the victory, Josh Berry has advanced to the All-Star race. Ty Gibbs, the first finished runner-up, that advances him to the All-Star race. And Noah Gregson won uh, the fan vote. That and that advances him to the all-star race as well. So uh, with that, we'll move over to the all-star race. Um, can you get to the points here, Jay? Well, this was oh, a non-point event, or did you want the result? Non-point event. Okay, why don't you go ahead and read the uh, recap here then? Well, Kyle Larson again definitely dominated as he won the NASCAR All-Star Race Open at North Wilkesboro Speedway, is the third career victory in the special non-points NASCAR Cup Series event. Uh, Prior to the start, we had no vehicles that dropped to the rear or the field under penalty. There were two cautions for 13 laps. One came out, uh, was a comp... Oh, I'm sorry, the number 43 and the 47 was an incident in turn four. And then in lap 102, there was the competition break, which was scheduled. There were three lead changes amongst two drivers. Daniel Suarez led laps 1 through 54. And then Kyle Larson took over from 55 to 103. Suarez got one more lap in, but Kyle Larson led from lap 105 to 200. As I mentioned, that was a dominating victory, if you can uh, ever see one. Okay, and just to kind of go over this, uh, Wallace finished second, followed by the 45th, Tyler Reddick, Chase Briscoe, Chase Elliott, Ryan Blaney, Daniel Suarez, Eric Jones, Ty Gibbs, and Joey Logano round out the top 10 drivers. Uh, the only other caution flag of the race was on lap 17 for Ricky Stenhouse. He had a spin. Uh, Larson's crew chief, Cliff Daniel, called his driver down pit road to set for a set of fresh tires under that yellow. Larson was caught speeding on the exit and was forced to take the restart on lap 20 at the tail end of the field. By lap 55, he had driven his way through the traffic and to the lead. Uh, so that was uh, pretty cool uh, to see happening in that race. But uh, like you said, he pretty much dominated uh, the race. Uh, do, um, the race results, let's talk about the top ten. Do you Any thoughts about the, the top ten here, Jay? There was a, there's some good storylines. I know it's a non-points uh, event, but it's, it's still some good momentum carried forward. Getting behind Kyle Larson, obviously, and the margin of victory there, 4.537 seconds. So uh, out there in a class by himself, and all the other drivers acknowledge that. But good runs by Team uh, 2311. You had Bubba Wallace in second, Tyler Reddick in third, and Denny Hamlin, I thought, oh, he must have dropped. He uh, ended up 13th. Uh, the other ones, though, in the top 10, Chase Elliott had a, had a good run. I know he's been carrying some momentum as well. Yes. Yes, he has. And Ty Gibbs, your highest finishing rookie of the race, uh, he kind of made some enemies, though. I don't think, uh, uh, what's his name? No, I can't think of it. McDowell. Michael McDowell, I don't think, was very happy with Ty Gibbs. 
Well, and yeah, going going back to that, you're right. I forgot to even talk about that from the open. Um, Michael McDowell carrying a Mark Martin throwback, but he kind of pulled a Matt Kenseth uh, throwback there. Uh, he didn't put him in the wall, but he ran Ty Gibbs or really hard uh, there for a lap or so. Uh, didn't keep uh, Gibbs from advancing. That one was a tough. I, I think um, I know. I don't know if we have that on the hot topics board, but. Gibbs made a move, um, definitely used his bumper, we'll say, but not as aggressively or as uncalled for, I think, as we've seen in the past. So I think we've seen some great maturity out of Gibbs, and, you know, Michael McDowell understood that, but he also wanted uh, Gibbs to understand he didn't appreciate it. Yeah, and uh, if he didn't walk away understanding that, then uh, he didn't get it. But uh, I'm wondering, I don't even see Michael McDowell on this uh, driver finishing list. Was there a penalty there? No, because he didn't make it. That was in the open, so he didn't advance to um, the actual all-star. Yeah, that was in the open. Okay. Okay, that's why I'm not seeing him here. So that was in the open that he did that. And, uh, yeah, he was not a happy camper uh, with Ty Gibbs, but uh, he did. Ty did end up with that ninth-place finish in the All-Star race. And I think that was his goal. He wanted to make sure he got into that All-Star race, and he did. And that was his justification, which, is, like I said, is semi-valid. Uh, only two spots transferring outside of the fan vote, which uh, obviously nobody wants to rely on that. Noah was very appreciative of getting that as his car was tore up, and he took responsibility for it, got a little low and clipped the inside wall and took out a couple of top drivers, um, which could have seriously changed the way that open finish. But Josh Berry, um, when they interviewed him, he said he saw it kind of happening and was just waiting, he said, as he went by and saw the commotion behind him to realize uh, exactly the frustration of McDowell uh, that, that he had with Ty Gibbs. All he knew is the, is the seas parted and he went on through. Yep, so that's uh, pretty amazing. Uh, but overall, uh, I know that there was a lot of excitement, and I know we're going to talk about this on uh, Hot Topics as well. There was a lot of excitement for this race at North Wilkesboro. Uh, some people, of course, the people who are fans of um, of uh, Kyle Larson were happy with the way that race ended, but a lot of people were a little disappointed that he won by so much of a gap. Yeah, I know we had a couple minutes here before we move, and I don't want to go too far into the Hot Topics portion, but um, the event itself at North Wilkesboro, obviously a huge success. The truck race, if you can find a replay, watch it. It was amazing. The cup race, my initial thoughts, as I posted in the group uh, when we were watching it, a uh, little lackluster. I'm trying to think of what Chase Elliott, non-spectacular, I think is how Chase Elliott put it. But if you look back at the history of North Wilkesboro, it's not all that uncommon. So I I think there's a balance there, and if they stay there moving forward, we'll see what happens. But I think the event itself was exciting um, to be back at the track, to see the track revitalized and see it utilized again. Maybe some things can be done to improve the on-track that we don't see that. But on the other hand, it's the all-star race. We saw an all-star do what all-stars do. Like you mentioned, he had to go start at the back, do a speeding penalty, drove to the yep. front, and drove away from him. 
Yeah, he he just was uh, kind of uh, the lead all the way through there, and he w- more or less was putting on a, 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 a session for the other drivers of how you race at North Wilkesboro Speedway. The problem is that none of the other drivers can drive like uh, Kyle Larson does. Kyle Larson, and we talked about this, suits um, – if he takes advantage of whatever situation he's given in any racing condition, and he's able to do that, he's very adaptable. The other drivers take a lot more time to make that adapting. So we'll, I, I hope we don't do the knee jerk and and uh, not go back to North Wilkesboro. I hope that we continue to do that year in and year out. Uh, but the other, only other thing I'm going to say about this, and we'll talk about it in hot topics, for those uh, people that are always saying they want to go back to the way racing was, well, you mentioned it. That's the way racing was at North Wilkesboro Speedway. And uh, if you weren't happy with it, then you really don't want to go back to the way racing used to be. Dave, Dave Moody tells his fans that call in about that all the time. If you re- do really go back and look at history, you saw a lot of races led by laps, not seconds, but laps. So um, certainly uh, seen domination like that before. Exactly. Okay, moving on now. Uh, the NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series is racing this weekend at Charlotte Motor Speedway. The North Carolina Education Lottery 200 will be Friday night. Uh, May the 27th at 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Fox Sports 1 will carry the pre-race coverage starting at 8 p.m., as well as the radio coverage on MRN and Sirius XM NASCAR Radio. <clears throat> They'll be racing a distance of 201 miles over 134 laps. Stage 1 and Stage 2 are 30 laps apiece, with Stage 1 ending on lap 30, Stage 2 on lap 60, and the final stage will be 124 laps, ending on lap 134. All right, jumping back over to, I know that News and Notes was up. Let me get into the truck series here. I can start off here if you need. Okay, yeah, if you would, uh, mine's loaded. Okay, Zane Smith is going to make his Charlotte Motor Speedway debut in the Cup Series. The 2022 Craftsman Truck Series champion, Zane Smith, will be the only full-time Truck Series driver competing this weekend in the Cup Series. He's going to pilot the number 38 Front Row Motorsports Ford on Sunday. Smith has made five previous career starts in the NASCAR Cup Series. Another one making a, a start is going to be David Gillen. He's driving for the Tricon Garage at Charlotte. Say again? I said yay. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, yeah, team owner David Gillen going to return to the driver's seat at Charlotte in the number one Toyota Tundra TRD Pro. Gillen last raced in the Craftsman Truck Series in 2021, making three starts coming at Daytona International Speedway, Las Vegas Motor Speedway, as well as Darlington Raceway. And this will mark the veteran's third career at Craftsman Truck Series start at Charlotte. Okay. Oh, here are some drivers to watch. The Beast of the Southeast Edition. Uh, Charlotte Motor Speedway is the fifth different 1.5-mile track on the Craftsman Truck Series schedule. Uh, and joining... Uh, Las Vegas, Atlanta, Texas, and Kansas. I think they're really making a a valiant effort here to uh, kind of point out that not all 1.5-mile tracks are the same. 
the Beast of the Southeast has hosted the Truck Series 20 times with the inaugural event on May 16th in 2003. That was a race that was won by Ted Musgrave driving a Dodge for Truck Series owner Jeff Smith. The 20 previous Craftsman Truck Series races at the 1.5-mile track have produced 11 different pole winners and 11 different race winners. Cup Series regular Kyle Busch and Kyle Busch Motorsports owner-driver Kyle Busch leads the series in wins with eight from 2005, 6, 10, 11, 13, 14, 17, and 19. Kyle Busch Motorsports has won an impressive seven out of the last 13 races, and they're still on the hunt for the 100th Craftsman Truck Series win. As the, as the Truck Series stars prepare to take on Charlotte Motor Speedway this weekend, there are two drivers in the past few years who have consistently been at the front of the field. That includes defending Truck Series champion Zane Smith. He has three top tens in just three starts at the track. During his Charlotte Motor Speedway debut in 2020, Smith led 15 laps and recorded his series' best third finish. Last year, the driver of the 38 Ford finished fifth after leading 52 laps. In six starts, GMS Racing's Grant Dinfinger has three top tens in 17, 18, and 22. Last year, Infinger recorded his series best finish at the track with a second. In his other three starts at the Alabama Native, the Alabama Native has finished just outside the top ten. Well, and we've been waiting for this. The 2023 TTC kicks off at Charlotte Motor Speedway, and that's the Triple Truck Challenge. And it was introduced back in 2019 as a three-race program, provides drivers in the NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series an opportunity to win up to $500,000 in bonus money. So $50,000 will be awarded to the race winner of any one of the three events. If a driver wins two of the three, they pocket an additional $150,000, and if they win all three, they collect half a million dollars. Now, after a one-year absence at Charlotte Motor Speedway, it's returning here for the Triple Truck Challenge rotation for the North Carolina Education Lottery 200. Then following Charlotte, the trip continues at Worldwide Technology Raceway on June 3rd before closing out on June 23rd at Nashville Super Speedway. Since its inception, no driver has been able to win all three in the one season to collect that $500,000 bonus. Look at 2019, it was Ross Chastain at Gateway, Brett Moffitt at Iowa, and Greg Biffle at Texas. In 2020, it was Sheldon Creed at Daytona, Zane Smith at Dover. Sheldon Creed did come back and win at Gateway, though. Then 2021, Sheldon Creed started it at Dar Darlington. Todd Gillen picked it up at Coda. And John Hunter Nemechek got the victory at Charlotte. In 2022, we had three new drivers. Corey Heim picked up the victory at Gateway. Ryan Priest at Nashville. And then Parker Kligerman at Mid-Ohio. Practice and qualifying for the North Carolina Education Lottery will begin Friday, May 6th at 1.35 p.m. Eastern on Fox Sports 1. All right. Now we will go ahead. Uh, wait a second. We've got one more thing here. Okay. Kyle Larson dominated that Craftsman Truck Series return to North Wilkesboro 
After pulling away from the field on an overtime restart, Kyle Larson became the first driver to win at a NASCAR-sanctioned race at the revitalized North Wilkesboro in 27 years and the third different winner in the truck series at the legendary track. He joins Mike Bliss in 95 and Mark Martin in 96. Originally not scheduled to race, Larson piloted that number seven Spyro Motorsport Chevrolet in place of Alex Bowman. He dominated the race again. He led 138 of 252 laps and won stage two. That late caution is what set up the final pit stop of the race, forcing teams to delve into pit strategy. Bubba Wallace and Ty Majeski both chose to take two tires, while Kyle Larson took four. Wallace held the lead on the restart with 24 laps to go. The number seven Chevrolet with Larson marched his way back to the front with only 13 laps left. With another caution sending the field into overtime, Larson was able to drive away from the pack with ease on the restart and sealed the deal. The victory was his third in 15 truck series starts and Spire Motorsports' second victory. Thorsport Racing's Ty Majeski finished second and snapped the streak of back-to-back finishes of 25th or worse. After Majeski, it was uh, Matt DiBenedetto who finished with his season-best third-place finish. Okay, next up we've got the Xfinity Series here. They also are racing this weekend, the Alco Uniforms 300 at Charlotte Motor Speedway on Saturday, May the 27th, starting at 1 p.m. Eastern. Fox Sports 1 will carry the pre-race coverage at 12.30 p.m. Eastern, along with radio coverage on PRN and Sirius XM NASCAR Radio. They'll drive a distance of 300 miles over 200 laps. The first two uh, stages are 45 laps apiece, stage one inning on lap 45, stage two on lap 90, and the last stage is 110 laps, ending on lap 200. Well, and this weekend we'll see the return of Natalie Decker to the Xfinity Series. It will be the first female to compete in the series this season. As SS Green Light Racing has tapped Natalie Decker to pilot their number 08 Chevrolet this weekend at Charlotte Motor Speedway in the Xfinity Series race, the Alsco Uniforms 300. And Decker will become the first female to compete in the NASCAR Xfinity Series this season, and it will be her first start since competing at Atlanta Motor Speedway last season, back on July 9, 2022. The 25-year-old from Wisconsin, Decker, has made eight career NASCAR Xfinity Series starts. She's posted a best finish at 24th coming at Talladega Super Speedway. This will be her series track debut, though, at Charlotte Motor Speedway. Okay. Uh, the standings are shaken up as Nima Checknet takes the lead back. After several weeks of Austin Hill sitting on top of the NASCAR Xfinity Series driver standings, there's a new leader, John Hunter Nemechek. The Joe Gibbs Racing driver snags the top spot with 424 points, just one point ahead of Hill, who sits at 423. Junior Motorsports teammates, Justin Algauer down 53, Josh Berry down 57, um, will take up the third and fourth place spots, respectively, with Stuart Haas Racing's Cole Custer sitting close behind in fifth at 365 points, 59 points down. Colleague Racing's rookie, Chandler Smith, sits in sixth. He's got 340 points. Richard Childress Racing's Sheldon Creed slides in next at 330 points. 
He's followed by Joe Gibbs Racing rookie Sammy Smith at 323 points. Stuart Haas Racing's Riley Earps takes the ninth spot at 313 points, followed by Sam Mayer down 115, Daniel Hemrick down 150, and Parker Kligerman down 151. Jeff Burton, who took the checkered flag at Talladega to secure his spot in the playoffs, comes in next with Brandon Jones down 160, still fighting for his spot in the 2023 playoffs. Well, they talk about the Charlotte being a home game and some people taking that time to take a break from the road, but some drivers are doing double duty to get some extra seat time there in their backyard. And be Charlotte Motor Speedway, several drivers are in the spirit to get some extra time behind the wheel. As we got drivers from both the NASCAR Cup Series as well as the NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series joining in in the Xfinity Series Alsco Uniforms 300 on Saturday, May 27th. Kyle Busch, he's the winningest driver in NASCAR Xfinity Series at Charlotte Motor Speedway. He'll be getting behind the wheel of the number 10 Colleg Racing Chevrolet for his third Xfinity Series start of 2023 season. In the previous two starts at Las Vegas and Phoenix, he posted a fourth place and a ninth place finish respectively. Bush has made 26 starts at Charlotte Motor Speedway in the Xfinity Series. He's posted nine wins, team top fives, 22 top tens, and has led a total of 1,475 laps. Now, last season's NASCAR Xfinity Series champ, Ty Gibbs, he'll be making his second start of the 2023 season in the Xfinity Series. He'll be behind the wheel of the number 19 Joe Gibbs Racing Toyota. He made his first start of the season at Coda, where he managed a third-place finish. Gibbs has only made two starts at Charlotte Motor Speedway in the Xfinity Series, took the checkered flag in his track debut in 2021, and then posted a runner-up finish in 2022. A NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series regular Raja Carruth, he's going to be piloting the number 44 Alpha Prime Racing Chevrolet this weekend, for his series debut at Charlotte Motor Speedway. This will be his fourth Xfinity Series start of the season. And then NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series driver Carson Hosevar, he's also going to be joining in the Xfinity Series action on Saturday. He'll be behind the wheel of the number 77 Chevrolet for Spire Motorsports. This will be Hosevar's third Xfinity Series start, but first on the Charlotte's 1.5-mile track. This weekend, Junior Motorsports' Josh Berry is looking to post back-to-back wins at Charlotte Motor Speedway and get his first victory of the season, but he will be sure to have some tough competition. Berry's Junior Motorsports teammate, Justin Algauer, is no rookie when it comes to 1.5-mile Charlotte Motor Speedway. In 20 starts, he's posted five top fives, 11 top tens, and he's led 77 laps. Like Barry, Allgauer is looking to land himself in Victor Lane this season, and if his performance at Dover, which was a third place, and Darlington, where he had a second place, are any indication of how he'll run this weekend at Charlotte, he has a good chance of taking that checkered flag. Another member of the JRM team that could put on a show this weekend is Sam Mayer. The 19-year-old posted his first start at Charlotte last year, 
snagging the pole and walking away with a third-place finish. Although he's still a newbie when it comes to running on the Charlotte Oval, he's proved that he can handle himself on the 1.5-mile tracks. Earlier this season at Las Vegas Motor Speedway, he posted a seventh-place finish, and in his three starts at Texas Motor Speedway, he posted a one, one top five and two top tens. Brandon Smith, who's in his first season with uh, Junior Motorsport, did I say Smith? Brandon Jones, who's in his first season with Junior Motorsports, has nine Charlotte starts in the books, and in those nine starts, he's posted three top ten finishes. He has also put up some good finishes at other 1.5-mile tracks in his career. At Las Vegas, 13 starts. He has two top fives and nine top tens. And at Texas, four start, 14 starts. He has two top fives and six top tens. If Josh Berry pulls off a win and goes back-to-back at Charlotte this weekend, he'll become the seventh different driver to accomplish that feat. He would join the likes of Harry Gant, who did it with an 87 sweep, Ron Moroso in 88 in an 89 sweep, Jeff Gordon had that 1992 sweep, Mark Martin did it in 95 and then followed that up with a 96 sweep, Kyle Busch had a 2008 sweep, he also won in 2009 and 2010, and a 2013 sweep. Austin Hill uh, had a 2015 sweep, and Barry has made two career starts at Charlotte, where he's posted one win, and he also has an average finish there of 16.5. Well, if he's going to do the back-to-back, he's going against history, because we got 10 different winners in the last 10 Xfinity Series races at Charlotte. There's a hot streak uh, of 10 different race winners swept over Charlotte Motor Speedway in the Xfinity Series, dating back to 2015. Richard Childress Racing's Austin Dillon was the last repeat winner in the Xfinity Series at Charlotte Motor Speedway. He swept both series race events in 2015. Since then, nine other drivers have added their names to that list, bringing the different winners to 10. Mentioned Dillon in 2015, then came along Denny Hamlin in 16, as well as Joey Logano. Ryan Blaney and Alex Bowman picked up victories in 2017. Brad Keselowski was your winner in 2018. Tyler Reddick did it in 2019. Kyle Busch's name in there in 2020. Ty Gibbs in 2021, and then Josh Berry in 2022. So we'll have to see if that streak continues or not. Well, it's going to be fun to watch. Uh, The Xfinity Series is ready to honor Memorial Day weekend out at Charlotte. After a week off, the Xfinity Series is back at the high-speed action of Charlotte Motor Speedway uh, this weekend. It'll be a special one as the NASCAR and Xfinity Series teams will honor the military and their families as they compete in the 12th race of the 2023 season. Over the years, there have been 77 Xfinity Series races held at Charlotte, dating back to the inaugural event on May 29th of 1982, and that was won by NASCAR's 75 Greatest Drivers, one of the 75 Greatest Drivers, Harry Gantt. Charlotte is a 1.5-mile asphalt-paved oval that has produced 38 different race winners and 50 different pole winners in the NASCAR Xfinity Series. Twelve Xfinity Series races were won from the pole of the first starting spot, most recently by Brad Keselowski in 2018. 
As with many tracks, Kyle Busch has etched in the Charlotte Motor Speedway Xfinity Series record book with the most wins there at nine. He has top fives at 19, top tens 22, and lead lap finishes 22. Laps led 1,475. Plus, he's the only driver to win in each of the three NASCAR National Series at Charlotte Motor Speedway. Three previous winners are entered this weekend in the Alsco Uniforms 300. They include Kyle Busch with those nine wins. And then you've got Ty Gibbs, who won there in 21, and Josh Berry in 22. The defending Charlotte winner and junior motorsports driver Josh Berry has put multiple wins uh, has put multiple wins the past two seasons, but is looking for his first victory this year. The Xfinity Series on-track action at Charlotte Motor Speedway will kick off with practice at 3.35 p.m. Eastern Time, followed by qualifying at 4.05 on Friday, May the 26th. Both events will be televised on Fox Sports 1. Moving on now to our NASCAR Cup Series, and there's a boatload of info here. Uh, the Coca-Cola 600, which is the longest race of the season at Charlotte Motor Speedway, will take place Sunday, May the 28th at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. Fox will carry the pre-race coverage starting at 5.30 p.m. Eastern, and radio coverage is available at PRN and Sirius XM NASCAR Radio. They'll race a distance of 400 miles. There are four stages in this race uh, for the 400 laps. Stage one and stage stage one, two, and three are all 100 laps each, as is stage four. Uh, so stage one ends on lap 100, stage two on 200, stage three on 300, and stage four ends on lap 400. <clears throat> all right, for the Coca-Cola 600, you mentioned the longest race, but we also got some milestones to look at. Uh, to watch this weekend as we got two drivers that will be making career milestone starts this weekend. The 2020 or 2017 Coca-Cola 600 winner and Richard Childress racing driver Austin Dillon, he'll be attempting to make his 350th NASCAR Cup Series career start this weekend at Charlotte Motor Speedway. Dillon is currently 31st in the driver's standings and could use the win this season to help his playoff hopes. Now, if Dylan were to win this weekend, he'd become the fourth different driver all-time in the NASCAR Cup Series to win on their 350th start. I would put him in the list the likes of Lee Petty, who did it in Martinsville, 1959. Bill Elliott did it in Rockingham, 1992. And then Tony Stewart did it in Talladega in 2008. Another one that hitting a mark is Todd Gillen. He'll, he'll be making his 50th career NASCAR Cup Series start this weekend at Charlotte. Okay, I might need some help with this one, Jay. Maybe we'll go every other one here. Uh, Each year, the teams open the doors and invite fans to visit their shops to see the inner workings of what it takes to compete at the highest level in stock car racing, which is, of course, NASCAR. Uh, We're going to list here the charity events and fan days that teams are having this week, Starting with the charity events on May 25th, Ryan Blaney Family Foundation Driving for Food 
event at Top Golf Charlotte University. The event will include two rounds of Top Golf tournament, a 10,000 hole-in-one contest, and a silent auction dinner and meet and greet. You can take the next one, Jay. Another one happening today here is the Bundle of Joy uh, Fund, which hosts fast cars and guitars at Boatyard Lake Norman, featuring live music from Nashville recording artist Matt Stell and special guest uh, DJ Silver. The doors open at 4 p.m. Eastern. The event starts at 7 Eastern. Also today is Joy Logano's concert for charity featuring Lee Bryce, Randy Hauser, Mitchell Tenpenny, Mitch Russell, and more. The event is held at Coyote Joe's in Charlotte starting at 7 p.m. Eastern, and proceeds are going to the Joey Logano Foundation that supports children and young adults young adults during times of crisis. It's focused around the foster care system. <clears throat> the, other, the other listed uh, charity event, that'll be Saturday, May 27th, uh, the RFK Racing 5K. That's going to start at 8.30 a.m. Eastern Time, last until around noon Eastern at Frank Likes, Frank Lisk Park in Concord. Uh, fans will be able to take photos with the number 17 Nexatel Ford Mustang and proceeds will benefit Brad Keselowski's Checkered Flag Foundation. All right. Next up there are the fan days. Um, taking place already taking place this week and ending today is Alex Bowman Racing Fan Days uh, from 9 a.m. until 5 p.m. Eastern in Mooresville, North Carolina. And then uh, again, started on the 22nd, running through the 27th of Saturday, Spire Motorsports Fan Days. That'll be Monday through Thursday from 7.30 to 4 p.m. And then Friday will be 7.30 a.m. to noon, as well as Saturday from 10 a.m. to noon. The shop will be open to the public for viewing, and there will be an autograph session on Saturday from 11 11 a.m. to 11.30 a.m. Eastern Time. Let me just mention, if you haven't put Charlotte Motor Speedway on your bucket list, uh, this is the weekend that you want to put on your bucket list because all of these teams do all these extra activities for the fans during this weekend. It it really is something special. And I will say I've had the joy of uh, being able to do uh, some of these fan day festivities. Uh, Again, starting on the 22nd and ending on Saturday is Team Penske's Fan Walk. It will be open from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. Eastern Time, Monday, Wednesday, Monday, through Wednesday, and then 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. Eastern on Thursday and Friday, 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. on Saturday. Fans will get to enjoy the Team Penske Fan Store, including some exclusive opportunities for merchandise and raffles. All right, this one looks like it was only on the 23rd, which was Tuesday, AM Racing Fan Fest. They'd have one as well, though, Um, again, with partner displays, music, food truck. Hopefully got out to that one. Okay, and also happening today is Junior Motorsports Fan Day. That includes three autograph sessions, Dale Jr.'s number 88 car unveil for the Xfinity race at Bristol, a uh, JRM match game show and prizes, and the fan day will begin at 9 a.m. today and conclude at 3 p.m. Eastern. 
Got a little bit of time to catch the end of this one. The Front Row Motorsports Boot Barn Fan Day will be at the race, trop, race shop from 10 a.m. this morning until 4 p.m. Eastern. That'll include the tour of the Front Row Motorsports as well as autographs from the drivers. Also happening today is Stuart Haas Racing's autograph session. Uh, that takes place uh, from 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. at their shop. Cole Custer, Riley Earps, and Ryan Pierce are all uh, in attendance. Now, if you can catch tomorrow, it'll be the RFK Fan Day. That'll take place at their shop from 10 a.m. Eastern to 2 p.m. Eastern. For the first time in team history, there will be guided tours of the RFK shop. Additionally, there'll be live music, food trucks, racing simulators, prizes, and giveaways. Okay, on May 26th, tomorrow and Saturday, May 27th, Hendrick Motorsports Fan Fest uh, takes place and includes uh, driver appearances, food trucks, activities for kids, photo opportunities, engine building demonstrations, pit stop exhibitions, guided tours, and more. The event will run from Friday 11 a.m., until 6 p.m. Eastern Time, and on Saturday from 8 a.m. until 3 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, that's a lot of activities uh, going on out there around uh, the race at Charlotte this weekend. And like you said, if you don't have the opportunity this year, next year, check it out, set your schedule, and find out when these events are happening. Uh, you can hit a lot of them. They're all in a, a relatively close area there in the uh, Charlotte Concord area. Okay, next up, uh, Jay, you want to that? Yep, we got Lieutenant General Christopher T. Donahue is going to deliver the State of Freedom Address during this patriotic pre-race salute. He is a highly decorated United States Army officer and is set to deliver that State of Freedom Address prior to Sunday's Coca-Cola 600. With more than 30 years of service, Donahue has held numerous leadership positions. He's currently the commanding general of the – got to do some math here on Roman numerals. What is that? 19, 19th Airborne Corps out of Fort Bragg. Um, outside of military circles. Did I get that right? Did I, <laughs> yeah, it's been a while since I've studied Roman numerals. Um, outside of the military circles, he may be best known as the last international military personnel – to leave Afghanistan during America's military withdrawal from the country back in August of 2021. And in a show of unity among the nation's military branches, Donahue will be joined on stage during the address by Captain Andrew C. Hertel of the U.S. Navy, Major General Michael G. Kosheski of the U.S. Air Force, and Captain Richard E. Batson of the U.S. Coast Guard. Now, other military elements that are going to be part of the pre-race, that includes the 82nd Airborne Band, as they'll perform God Bless America, America the Beautiful, and Carolina on My Mind. And the U.S. Army Fort Bragg Aerial Blackhawk demonstration, along with the Howitzer demonstration, the Armed Forces Color Guard and Drummers from the United States Army Band, uh, Perishing Zone, and the Presentation of Colors, U.S. Army Chaplain Stephen F. Townsend will do the invocation. U.S. Navy Ceremonial Guard will do the small arms volley. The U.S. Coast Guard Band Musician Petty Officer First Class 
M-U-T, uh, Joel W. Barity. He's going to play Pat's. And then it'll be the U.S. Marine Corps Second Aircraft MC Band. They'll do the national anthem. <coughs> excuse me. In each, in addition, <coughs> excuse me. Uh, service member will be paired with each driver in the starting lineup for driver introductions on the pre-race stage. And you'll see their name, whoever the, is with that driver, on their car and st- on the front. Okay, there's also some celebrity and dignitaries to watch for at Charlotte. A star-studded lineup of celebrities and dignitaries will attend the highly anticipated 64th running of the Coca-Cola 600 at Charlotte Motor Speedway. No stranger to cutting loose and going fast, Danny McBride, the creator and star of the HBO popular series The Righteous Gemstones, will get behind the wheel as the honorary pace car driver and lead the field to the green flag to start the Coca-Cola 600. I think HBO is now called Max. Um, Fast cars. uh, Okay. The Sunday fun kicks off with legendary Doobie Brothers and Michael McDonald performing a pre-race concert before the patriotic salute to the U.S. Armed Forces and the green flag for the Coca-Cola 600. Dignitaries for Friday's North Carolina Educational Lottery 200. The starter, honorary starter, is Thomas Martin, Luck E. Awards winner. Uh, Grand Marshal Mike Beach, Lucky Rewards winner. Pace car driver, Stephen Francis, also a Lucky Rewards winner. And honorary race official, Terry Rose, Deputy Executive Director of Brand Management and Communications. Dignitaries for Saturday's Alsco Uniforms 300. The starter, uh, honorary starter, Ben Fox, Vice President of Sales and Marketing for Alsco. Uh, Grand Marshal is going to be Samantha Bush. Presentation of Colors, Concord Police Department Honor Guard. Invocation, Master Sergeant Monty Self of the U.S. Force, U- U.S. Air Force retired. Uh, and the National Anthem by Cash Crawford. Dignitaries for Sundays, ASCO, uh, Dignitary for Sunday's Coca-Cola 600 includes Honorary Race Director Cameron Sexton, Tennessee Speaker of the House, Honorary Pace Car Driver Danny McBride, The Righteous Gemstones, Honorary Starter Nancy Mace, South Carolina Congresswoman, and Grand Marshals include legendary Coca-Cola Racing Family Drivers Jeff Burton, Dale Jarrett, Bobby Labani, and Kyle Petty, alongside Lisa Marie Higgins, the Regional Southeast President and Executive Director of National Capital District. So uh, that's quite a list there. And Jake Owen is also going to headline a rocking weekend there at Charlotte Motor Speedway. The Grammy-nominated and Academy of Country Music Award-winning artist, Jake Owens, is set to headline the action-packed weekend of music and motorsports at Charlotte Motor Speedway this weekend. And Jake Owen will rock the Circle K Speed Street Stage on Saturday, May 27th, after the Alsco Uniform 300 NASCAR Xfinity Series race and the Coca-Cola Bush Light Pole Qualifying. And the ACDC cover band Dirty Deeds is set to kick off the weekend with a Friday night show after the North Carolina Education Lottery 200 on May 26th. Lots going on there this weekend just for this pre-race. Okay. Uh, I'm going to kind of combine these next two. The Coca-Cola 600 
sells out for a second consecutive year. Uh, so that's uh, only a limited number of standing room only and premium terrace box, t- box tickets remain. Uh, but uh, uh, every, uh, all of it is uh, pretty much sold out. Fans from across the nation and 18 foreign countries as far as what is Australia, Tanzania, and Czech Republic have secured tickets. Uh, for this weekend. Also, there's a Netflix documentary race. Bubba Wallace wins the Sports Emmy Award. National Academy of Television Arts and Sciences announced this week the winners of the 44th Annual Sports Emmy Awards, which were live-streamed at at Watch. The Emmys TV are available in various and available on the various Emmy apps, iOS, TVOS, Android, Fire TV, and Roku. Full list of apps at theemmystv.tv. The Netflix documentary race, Bubba Wallace, has won the Sports Emmy Award for Outstanding Documentary Series. So that's uh, a very cool accomplishment for Bubba Wallace. It is. And speaking of accomplishments... Alex Bowman of Hendrick Motorsports is going to return to the NASCAR Cup Series competition this weekend at Charlotte. Uh, he's recovering from a fractured vertebrae suffered back on April 25th, competing in a sprint car race. Uh, it was announced Tuesday he drove Tuesday drove a car, a Cup Series car, 170 laps during a NASCAR-approved medical evaluation test at North Wilkesboro Speedway, which he did pass. Now, Bowman remains eligible for the 2023 playoffs after being granted a NASCAR medical waiver. Okay, take the next one, too, Jay. All right, Kyle Larson uh, looking to become the first driver to win the All-Star and Coke 600 in the same season multiple times. Driving for Hendrick Motorsports, he dominated the 2023 NASCAR All-Star race at North Wilkesboro, this Lickin looks to win them in the same season for multiple times. Nine drivers have done it before. Kyle Larson did it last year. Kurt Busch in 2010. Kane, Casey Kane in 2008. Jimmy Johnson in 2003. Jeff Gordon back in 97, as well as Dale Earnhardt in 93. Davey Allison did it in 91. And Daryl Waltrip back in 1985. Okay, for the sake of time here, because we're running out of time quickly, I'm going to go to the top here for the NASCAR Cup Series and start working my way down, and I'll probably need help on this one, Jay. As it has every year for nearly a decade, the NASCAR community is coming together to formally honor and recognize the United States Armed Forces during Military Appreciation Month through the annual NASCAR Salutes Together and Coca-Cola program. This marks the ninth season of the NASCAR Salutes Together with Coca-Cola, celebrating the service and sacrifice of U.S. military members and their families through a multitude of track integrations, original contact, content features, and fan engagement opportunities. Tributes began at Dover Motor Speedway May 1st, where the U.S. Naval Academy Drum and Bugle Corps performed prior to the Cup Series race. 
and new to the celebration this year, inside the NASCAR Experience Fan Zone footprint at Kansas and Darlington was the number 75 car show draped in NASCAR salutes together with Coca-Cola livery and featured the white space for fans to write thank you messages to thank you to military members. To conclude the NASCAR salutes together with Coca-Cola, NASCAR and Coca-Cola will again host Gold Star Families during Memorial Day weekend at Charlotte, where the show car and fan messages will be on display. Sunday's Coca-Cola 600 will continue the tradition of all 40 Cup Series cars featuring the name of a fallen service member on their windshield. In addition to those mentioned uh, here, um, other NASCAR salute activities across the industry include, and we'll go one by one here, Jay, NASCAR social and digital platforms will feature a bevy of dedicated stories and content features, including the story of Lyndon Amick, a former NASCAR Xfinity Series driver who enlisted in the National Guard and served in Afghanistan, a tribute to NASCAR's history of honoring armed forces throughout its 75 years. Xfinity Series driver and Navy officer Jesse Awuji visiting with fellow Navy members and more. Fans can view it all at NASCAR.com salutes and engage on social media using the hashtag NASCAR salutes. There are discounted grandstand tickets are available to military members throughout the NASCAR salutes and all season long with the NASCAR Miltix presented by GEICO. Active military and veterans can verify their status through sheer ID and purchase tickets by visiting NASCAR.com backslash Miltix. At NASCAR events during the month of May, service members from local bases have access to complimentary grandstand tickets and unique VIP experiences made possible by VetTix and the NASCAR Troops to the Track program. And for a sixth season, Mack Trucks, the official hauler of NASCAR, will wrap one of its NASCAR haulers in support of the NASCAR salutes leading into the Memorial Day weekend. Uh, fans get the chance to vote on several different paint schemes now uh, through, I guess it was May 2nd that that ended. And Mack will reveal the winning scheme on its social media channels leading into this Coca-Cola 600 weekend. Charlotte uh, Motor Speedway continues its annual Mission 600, pairing Coca-Cola racing family and other drivers with military bases to educate NASCAR community about the day-to-day lives of men and women who serve. Xfinity, a proud premier partner, will display red, white, and blue Xfinity windshield headers on their race cars during the Xfinity Series ALSCO Uniforms 300 at Charlotte showcases their company commitment to hiring veterans, uh, National Guard, and rescue service members, as well as military spouses who bring unique skills and experience to the Comcast NBC Universal. The NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series will also display red, white, and blue windshield decals on all trucks racing in the North Carolina Education Lottery 200 at Charlotte Motor Speedway. And AMR, the official emergency medical services partner in NASCAR, they'll feature the NASCAR Salute branding on its NASCAR safety trucks and safety team helmets throughout the entire program. 
Again, continuing its tradition, Goodyear will place its iconic eagle sidewall design with honor and remember during the Coca-Cola 600 in recognition of the organization working closely with the industry to honor Gold Star families who have lost family members as a result of serving. During the Coca-Cola 600 broadcast, Fox will display the name of every U.S. Armed Forces member who has lost his or her life since last year's Memorial Day weekend uh, race as part of their special tribute titled Fox Sports Remembers. The initiative began back in 2009. The NASCAR Wheel and Modified Tour, with the help of JDV Productions, will feature roof decals on all race cars honoring fallen service members during the Granite State Derby at Lee USA Speedway on May 27th. Wheel and modified tour cars will also carry separate NASCAR salutes decals for the May 6th race that took place uh, earlier and the May 20th race at Riverhead Raceway. The Arkham Menards Series and Arkham Menards East will also feature the NASCAR salute decals. Um, on cars racing when they did at Dover back on April 28th, the Nashville Fairgrounds on the 13th. They did at Flat Rock Speedway on May 20th and Kansas May, Kansas Speedway on May 6th. And it'll wrap up with the Charlotte Motor Speedway race on May 26th. Okay. How much time do we have left here? We're down to two minutes. I think that's all we're going to be able to cover here in the NASCAR Cup Series. There's just always so much information, and we try to do whatever we can to get it all to you. Uh, but, uh, unfortunately, time does not always allow. Uh, but we are up here for Hot Topic Sound Off, and... Uh, I've got uh, I've got somebody here for a NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Off by Mike Orzel, and uh, I'm going to bring him into the queue. And while we're saying hello to him, there's another number here that I'm going to uh, do a private screening with. Mike, welcome to the show. Hey, oh, good to be here. I'm a little under the weather, so please bear with me if I sound a little rough, but I'm going to I'm going to make it through. Well, Mike, at least we don't have to see how rough you look. How about that? Um, well, no that's Sharon's true. I mean, <laughs> you know, the, the, the face—the face is. Uh, I got the face for radio. I'll put it that way. That's for sure. I, come on, you got to have a smiling face after getting back from North Wilkesboro. I, I know that. <laughs> look, I tell you what, man. There's there there have been some colossal mistakes in history. Um, Napoleon invading Russia in winter. Greedo shooting first and Andy Lasky skipping North Wilkesboro are probably some of the biggest mistakes in the history of mankind. North Wilkesboro was incredible. Even if the race itself wasn't great, the entire weekend there was outstanding. Mike, I'm so happy you were able to go there. You are going to be a great ambassador for North Wilkesboro Speedway and uh, the racing that took place out there. Um, I know the truck race was a really, really good one for you. And I know one of our hot topics involves the all-star race. Uh, anything you want to say in advance of that? Well, we could probably just get right into the the hot topic regarding the uh, the all-star race. Uh, if you want to go down that road, we could talk about Dale Jr.'s comments regarding it if you want to do that. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Why don't you open it up? 
Sure. So on his on his Dale Jr. download, uh, and I believe it was the Monday show, uh, Dale Jr. sounded genuinely disappointed in the All-Star race, talk, talking specifically about the NASCAR Cup Series race on Sunday evening. I think most people, Dale Jr. included, found the race to be somewhat underwhelming, and he really went into some detail about some things that NASCAR and Goodyear should do regarding the tires, and not just for North Wilkesboro, but for NASCAR short track racing in general. Um, he, can, he talked about the, the rain tires uh, that were run on Saturday evening for the, the Cup Series heat races that seemed to produce better racing than what we saw on slicks on Sunday evening. And he was talking about how potentially Goodyear could look into different tire compounds, a thicker tire compound, something like that, that can hopefully improve mechanical grip on the cars so they can be less reliant on aerodynamics. It was really interesting to look at, but I'm wondering what y'all's opinion on that was. Okay, Jay, let's uh, go for it. Well, we need another two-hour window here on this topic alone, I think. Um, I know in our group, as we were watching the race, um, you know, I was chatting with Andy and I, I think I was the first one to actually bring it up of, the race did appear to be a little lackluster, uh, whatever term you want to use. But the more I thought about it, I kind of go back to the middle. Uh, Obviously, as Dale Jr. pointed out, some improvements can be made to the short track program. However, when you look at North Wilkesboro, let's start there. That track history, as I listen to more on SiriusXM throughout the week and the people calling in and some of the analysts that talked about it, but went back in my brain and pulled out some uh, buried thoughts and uh, memories that that track is that way. Uh, you know, Sharon and I talked about a little bit this uh, on the uh, preview portion. That track is known for that. Second off, it's the all-star race. You have the best of the best. And there was one particular best one. That's what with the all-star race is to showcase that. And Kyle Larson showcased it. He found what worked. Uh, I, I think it was Larry McReynolds on Race Hub talked about it. It kind of goes back to the dirt tracking side, but Kyle Larson as a driver isn't a mechanic, isn't a setup guy, doesn't have, most of the time have any idea, and he'll self-admit this, of what goes on to that car. What he does is take what that car is and finds where it works. A lot of drivers want to tell the crew chiefs, hey, make the car work where I want it to go, Whereas Kyle Larson will take the car and let it go where it wants and make it fast. So uh, we saw that. I mean, he went to the back and drove back up within, I think, 30-some laps after starting at the rear of the field. Granted, it was only a 24-car field. So I'm not saying that some things can't be done to improve short track racing, but the more I thought about it, uh, it wasn't as dire as what I looked at. And lastly, here on the first round anyway, for the 75th anniversary of NASCAR, the North Wilkesboro All-Star Race event was a success and couldn't have been done any better, in my opinion. And I know Mike's going to talk about that as far as the electricity at the track and bringing that track back, which, whether it's at the cup level or not, long-term, we'll see. But there is racing back at that track, and it is being utilized, and that is a success story. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think that the idea of going to North Wilkesboro uh, and the fans responded to that, uh, it was completely successful. I think Mike can probably tell it better than any of us because he was there at the track and was a part of that celebration of honoring uh, the history of NASCAR and North Wilkesboro. Um, 
As far as the races, I actually did not get a chance to see uh, those races. I was with my family and uh, uh, kind of celebrating our own uh, uh, thing with the birthday of uh, my grandson. But I will tell you that I I, um, have read many of the reviews and seen some of the highlights. And uh, what I took away from it is that uh, and I might have a little bit different perspective here. As I know a lot of fans are always saying, we want NASCAR to be like it used to be. <laughs> well, this is it, folks. This is what NASCAR used to be, is when a driver dominated and won by not minutes, or I'm sorry, not by seconds, as Jay put it earlier, but by laps. Uh, and and. In this case, he had a commanding lead. He took a penalty, raced from the back, and still made it to the front. Um, and you got to wonder, what is it that Kyle Larson is doing that none of these other drivers are doing? And they're all great drivers. Uh, that's why they're in the all-star race is because they've won races. Uh, they're champions. Um, so what is Kyle Larson doing differently? It's exactly what Jay mentioned. He's not expecting the car to adapt to his racing style. He's adapting to where the car is and what the car can do and makes that car work. Um, if it's not working on the bottom line, he's trying the middle line. If it's not working there, he's going on the high line. He's doing where the, he's going where the car is taking him, and that's what's making it work. Um, other drivers are doing what Jay also mentioned. Uh, they're calling the crew chief and saying the car is not doing this. Uh, you need to make it do this. Uh, and and uh, Kyle Larson has that different perspective and that different way of racing by adapting to what the car is capable of doing. Uh, and he finds the spot that the car likes and will move the fastest. And and um, I sometimes wonder why more drivers aren't doing what Kyle Larson is doing. And I think it's because they're brought up to look for what they need to change in the car to make it adapt to their driving style. Um, and it might be just one of those, I forget what they call it, a paradigm shift. If, if they can just paradigm shift a little bit, can you imagine if we had a bunch of Kyle Larsons out there <laughs> racing? It would be an amazing thing to see. But um, I think that Kyle Larson put on the, put on the show at in the All Star race, and he put on the show actually uh, in the truck race as well, uh, in in kind of showcasing what his abilities are. And if I think a lot of drivers need to kind of take note of that and uh, see if they can't kind of change the way that they're doing business, if you will. Um, but I I did. I do think that the whole concept of North Wilkesboro is a grand concept, and I think that they need to keep it. I hope they don't uh, knee-jerk and decide that they need to do something different without giving North Wilkesboro a chance, Uh, because I think overall uh, it was a fabulous success. Mike, I'm giving you the soapbox. (laughs) Well, 
I really share Dale Jr.'s disappointment with the, the Sunday night race specifically. Overall, I think the weekend was outstanding. It was probably one of the best experiences I've ever had with regard to experiencing NASCAR, going to a race, the crowd, everything was just outstanding, except for the on-track product on Sunday evening. And unfortunately, Dale kind of pointed out, we've, we've had really 27 years worth of pent-up emotion and hype and desire to see North Wilkesboro back. And when it finally was announced, that hype train just started rolling. It was always going to be really difficult to live up to it. And the fact that the race itself wasn't that great was a really big letdown, probably a disproportionately large letdown that unfortunately falls too, too much and unfairly so on North Wilkesboro. I don't believe the problem is North Wilkesboro Speedway. The problem is the broader problem of NASCAR Cup Series racing with the Gen 7 car on short tracks. North Wilkesboro was just a victim of that, in addition to the victim of being an all-star race, which we can talk about later. But North Wilkesboro put on a race that was comparable to what we've seen on other short tracks. Remember after the Martinsville race a few months ago, Clint Boyle was extremely critical of the current state of NASCAR Cup Series short track racing. And there's kind of this groundswell of we need to fix short track racing. So I'm with you, Sharon. Before we start thinking about what we need to do to fix North Wilkesboro, I think we really need to look at for the broader question of how do we fix short track racing in general in the NASCAR Cup Series. And that's where Dale Jr.'s suggestions came in with regard to the tires. Um, having a tire that has more mechanical grip uh, allows the car to close in on the car in front of them without having those dirty air issues. The car is grabbing the racetrack using the tires as opposed to using the air to keep the car stable. I saw it a lot at the racetrack on Sunday where you would have one car following another and they'd close the distance uh, up until about a car length or so before the car in front of them and then they'd end up losing the nose and washing up the track, and they'd lose all that position that they gained. And that's almost certainly a result of the aerodynamics. Maybe a couple times they were pushing it too hard trying to make a pass happen, but I think more often than not it was a result of getting into that dirty air immediately behind the car in front of them, causing aerodynamic issues, and then losing grip and then losing their track position. Obviously it didn't affect everybody. Kyle Larson, as we said, was able to drive through the field, but – it was like that car had a different gear. That car was insanely fast all weekend, and especially so on Sunday evening, by far the class of the field. And I don't want to take anything away from Kyle Larson's win. I think the best car and the best driver won that race. However, I think a lot of it had to do with what we've seen in a lot of other short tracks where once a car gets a lead, especially a good car, it's very, very difficult for another car to close up and press the issue and make a pass. It also didn't help that the field was smaller at North Wilkesboro, so we didn't have as much lap traffic as you would have at a full field short track race like we see at Martinsville and Bristol, where after a few laps, the leader is also in that dirty air trying to work lap traffic. Yes, we did have lap traffic at North Wilkesboro, but it wasn't anywhere near as thick as it would be with a full field. So, therefore, the leader, in this case, Kyle Larson, didn't have to deal with as much dirty air and give that opportunity to the second place and further back cars where the leader has to deal with lap traffic two or three or four at a time where they can have that opportunity to capitalize on the leader struggling with lap traffic. We didn't get that at North Wilkesboro, and I think that contributed to the overall issues that we saw. As far as a solution, I like Dale's solution of 
doing something with the tire compound. I'm not an engineer. I'm not smart enough to say specifically what they need to do, but I believe Dale is correct where the answer has to do with mechanical grip with the tires on the racetrack and get away from this aerodynamic dependence that we have. We talk a lot about aerodynamics at super speedways and even the intermediate tracks, but it's gotten to the point now where even at a relatively low, a low no, speed uh, track like North Wilkesboro or Martinsville, it becomes challenging for the car to, to stay in position because of the aerodynamics. So making a solution there, I think, is the, the road we need to go down. Hopefully they've got some really smart people at NASCAR and Goodyear looking at it, and they can come up with a solution not just to fix North Wilkesboro, but to fix NASCAR Cup Series short track racing in general. Okay, Jay, you got a follow-up? Yeah, I'm kind of in the middle, uh, a little more on the side of putting it on the drivers and the teams, but um, obviously improvements can be made, and if as a whole the short track program, if if that's how we're going to say it, um, needs to be brought up. But I also look at it, it's, it's NASCAR's job to govern the sport, it's the teams and the drivers' job to make their car go fast. So we know it can be done because we saw Kyle Larson, Hendrick Motorsports do it. Um, and there were several other cars uh, throughout. The Toyotas seemed to be able to as well. Um, I didn't get noticed as much because of Kyle Larson, but Bubba Wallace moved up. Tyler Reddick moved up. Denny Hamlin moved up. So it can be done I think some of that needs to fall more back on the drivers and the teams. Now, with that, of again, there are some things that will help all of them that maybe NASCAR does. And uh, I know Mike had brought it up before. Um, I'm trying to think who it was. I believe it was Chocolate Myers on the midday program on SiriusXM talked about getting a modified tire between a slick tire and a dirt track or this case for NASCAR, a, a wet weather tire where it has the groove, some, some chunking in the uh, chunking is not the right word, the siphons where there, there's just like a tread, uh, just like we'd see on a road vehicle. Obviously don't go all the way with the, what they call the wet weather tire, but at least a little bit of advancement where that would come into play as far as tires. And I'm not opposed to that. Okay. Um, but, like I said, I don't think it's NASCAR's job to make all these cars fast. That's the team. So, I, I, like I said, I'm kind of torn in the middle. Um, I know Chase Elliott, when he said it, he, he too, and I think he used the word unspectacular as far as the race. But he also said, hey, you're not going to get side-by-side side bumping and banging every lap of every race, especially a finish. Yo, sometimes a driver just dominates, and that's his teammate. He knows. He has, he has the same capability as that driver because he's got the same equipment. You know, so he kind of put it on himself. I got to do a better job of working my way through traffic because somebody else with our same car just did it. What can I learn and do better myself? Not look to NASCAR to fix it for him. He said, what can I do better myself? Yeah, I go back to that too because uh, I, I think that's what, a lot of these drivers need to kind of paradigm shift in their minds. They want to blame NASCAR. They want to blame everybody else. Um, I go back to Kyle Larson. Uh, I guess when he was a kid, his mom asked him, why do you always want to start at the back of the field? Why don't you want to start at the front? He says, Mom, I like passing cars. Kyle Larson learned from a very young age 
how to pass the cars. He did it at North Wilkesboro. He got he got a penalty. He had to go to the back of the field, and he raced his way back to the front in that dirty air that you're, you're talking about. He did that. He raced through that dirty air, passed cars, and got to the front of the field. Um, if Kyle Larson is doing it, it tells me that it's possible for the other drivers to do that, too. Um, I, I think that sometimes we want somebody to fix it without looking at what we personally can do differently. And I'm not talking about me, obviously. I'm not a NASCAR driver. But I think that the drivers need to take some time with their team and say, what can I be doing differently? What is Kyle Larson doing that I'm not doing? Because Kyle Larson can race any track, anywhere, any day of the week and win the race. Um, and it's because of what he's doing. And he's not looking for the crew chief to do something different to the car. If he needs something different, he's going to say that, but what he's basically doing is he's letting the car tell him where to race that track. He tries the different lines. He goes over the track and looks for the best way to get around that particular track, and he he's able to do it. That's why he excelled in the truck series race. That's why he excelled in that cup series race. And and I I, I think we've got to take a minute and just take a step back. <clears throat> and I'm, when I say we, I guess I'm meaning the drivers need to just take a minute and take that step back. And this should be the moment that that really happens where they say we personally, <laughs> as a driver, need to do something different with the way we're looking at these races. They're in a new car. They're looking for NASCAR to do something different to the car so that they can race better. And and I'm just saying it's possible to race better with the existing car. It's possible to race better with the existing tires without making all of those changes. Kyle Larson has proved that it's possible. So what can they do differently as drivers? Can they race differently? They have to shift in their mind how they're racing in order to race better with these cars and with the existing tires. It's possible, and Kyle Larson has proved that it is possible. Okay, Mike, your follow-up. Well, there's there's one thing I really need to point out here because I don't want to take too much away from Kyle Larson and Bubba Wallace, but remember on lap 20 there was a caution. Uh, Ricky Stenhouse got turned by Eric Jones uh, coming out of turn four. Uh, so there was a caution on lap 20. Kyle Larson and Bubba Wallace were the only two cars that pitted and put on tires. Now, like I said, nothing to take away from the performance of Kyle Larson because he did get a penalty on there and drove through the field. However, he was on 20 to 25 lap fresher tires than the rest of the field, and so was Bubba Wallace. They worked their way through the field up until that lap 100 competition caution, and then they ran one and two with that track position that they gained on those fresh tires. 
they, they maintain that track position for the rest of the race. So, no, Kyle Larson did not race his way through the field in equal equipment on equal tires with the rest of the field. He was on faster or on newer tires when he, uh, when he gained all that track position. Same with Bubba Wallace as he drove through the field on fresher tires as well. So I did want to point that out where grip matters. Uh, uh, tire grip, uh, obviously driver's skill and technique matters as well. I, I couldn't drive through the field on fresh tires, no matter how good of a car I had, but Kyle Larson did because you know, he's a very skilled driver who had the advantage of fresher tires on the car. So it does kind of highlight that having, those, having better grip and better tires will make a difference in the overall ability of your car to move forward on the racetrack. Again, nothing to take away from the performance of Kyle Larson, but in the sake of accuracy, I do need to point that out. So it comes back to, like you said, it, is it on the drivers and crews? Yes, somewhat. But they're kind of put in a box by the Gen 7 car. NASCAR has limited the, that, that envelope that they have to work with, with setups and uh, the different changes that they can make to the race car to the point where you can't get super radical and be very different from your competitors. I'd be willing to bet that the setup from one car to the next is relatively similar because they really don't have a wide range to work in, and the range of what would actually function correctly on the racetrack is even smaller so there's probably not a lot of variance between the setups there so it comes back to the drivers well we're talking about the nascar cup series here these are the 40-ish best stock car race car drivers in the world so yes kyle larson is is outstanding in a pool of outstanding drivers but at the same time the difference from a driver like Kyle Larson to a Josh Balicki at the back of the field is not super huge in terms of a skill set. So it, it's hard to say, well, you just need to do better, Josh Balicki. Well, yeah, but you're racing against Kyle Larson. <laughs> it's difficult here. So I think there's, there's kind of a shared mutual responsibility here, especially with the Gen 7 car that NASCAR has effectively turned into a spec car. Uh, and the Goodyear, obviously, having the spec tire that they provide to everyone, there is a bit of responsibility there where if something could be done to improve the competitiveness, for example, taking away some of the aerodynamic dependence of the car, the teams can't do that because NASCAR's mandated that the car will be configured and built in a certain way. So the teams can't change the aerodynamic properties of the car, but NASCAR can. They can mandate, hey, we're going to take off whatever we're going to change in order to change the aerodynamic properties. Same thing with the tires. The teams can't change, aside from air pressure, the teams can't really do much with the tires. But Goodyear can look at the situation and say, we can change the compound, uh, make it grippier, or put grooves on the tires, something along that line. That's outside of the team's control, but it's something that NASCAR and Goodyear can work with the teams and say, hey, what can we give you in order to give you a better opportunity to showcase your skill in terms of driving the car and setting it up for success? So I think that's kind of the mutual benefit that the, the teams and NASCAR and Goodyear can all work together to hopefully come with a solution to improve short track racing in general, and especially at a place like North Wilkesboro, which means so much to so many people. Okay. Um... I, I'm not opposed to changing the tires, if you feel, and I agree that the grip does make a difference. They, they've showed that that was true as well. But I do think that they need to look at themselves as well and not always look for NASCAR to give them the answer. Okay, Jay, you get the next hot topic. Well, we kind of danced around this with just this topic of this particular race, but the all-star race itself no matter where it's held. And I know Mike said they were selling uh, advanced tickets, whatever it will be back at North, North Wilkesboro next year. 
I've not seen anything official, but has the all-star race itself run its course and what do they need to look at to make it back to of what it was, if you will, of back in the day? <laughs> okay, Mike. That's a really tough question to answer because, like Jay said, back in the day it was something special. Teams would show up with a special paint scheme. Uh, they, they seemed to really care. And I don't know if it's because a million dollars was worth a whole lot more back then or there was more prestige or, or what really drove that level of care. And I'm not going to say the teams don't care about the all-star race right now, but it, it really seems like they don't put in the effort to win the all-star race like they do a weekly points race. If for no other reason, then – we're talking about millionaires here already. They're not they are, a million dollars is the difference between them keeping the lights on at the race shop or not. So having that incentive to win the all-star race isn't really there anymore. Um, and it doesn't pay points. So it doesn't help them win the championship. So I think that that prestige of, of going to the all-star race and, and really wanting to win it, I don't know that it's there. And NASCAR's tried so hard over the past about 10 years or so to, to try and revive this all-star race. It was at Charlotte forever. And it just got so bad year after year after year. They tried different things. And really the only one that was mildly entertaining was the 2018 race where they brought out that high downforce, low horsepower uh, race package that for the first race was pretty decent. But when they put it out over the rest of the, the field, it was a disaster. That's a different discussion. But other than that one 2018 race, the all-star race has been the all-snore race for years. And they tried going to Bristol, which is a fan-favorite racetrack. T- traditionally puts on great racing. Remember, this was in the Gen 6 era, back when the short track racing was great. And Bristol was a dud. And then they went to Texas. And Texas was two years of just lousy, terrible racing. And then they went to North Wilkesboro. And we've already talked about how North Wilkesboro went. And they've tried different gimmicks with the formats and competition cautions and field inversions. And nothing has worked to revive this all-star race. And I think it really comes down to, well, what's the point? If you talk about an all-star event in a different sport, traditional stick-and-ball kind of sports, you're taking a collection of supposedly the very best players from the very different teams, putting them together into two super teams, and they're, they're playing in a game together. With NASCAR, you can't really do that. You're not going to take the jackman from the nine car and the front tire changer from the 54 and the crew chief from the five. You're not going to create 20 super teams of mix-and-match NASCAR race teams. It really doesn't make sense to do something like that. So what can NASCAR do to differentiate itself from a regular race? I don't know that they have a whole lot of options there. They've tried different tracks. They've tried different gimmicks. Unless they substantially increase the purse, and I don't know that they even have the money to do that, and how much money would it take to get these guys to race harder? I, I don't know. I don't, I, I'm not sure what, what kind of money is uh, even on the table, let alone what it would take to, to put a fire under them. So I don't know what it would take to, to make the all-star race better. And maybe it's just better to give them an off weekend. We've been going at this for what? Almost nine, nine, oh, I'm sorry, uh, three months or nine, uh, whatever weeks straight. And maybe they just need a break. Give them that break before the 600 mile race, as opposed to another race that is effectively meaningless for these teams. Okay. Yeah, that's basically, we kind of talked about this in our team's chat for a little bit. And, uh, what, somebody asked, what's the point? And I, I kind of responded with originally when they started the all-star race, um, it was the week before the Coke 600. Uh, and so they wanted to have something that was close to home, that families and uh, 
team member family uh, members that can all be together in a festive atmosphere and and it's a non-points paying race so the drivers could relax a little bit if you would and it, it was close to home they had that two weeks that they were home and not on the road and traveling so it got to be a, a, a an event it's evolving and it continues to evolve it, it, for all the reasons that mike brought up it got where, you know, it wasn't all that great to watch at Charlotte Motor Speedway, so they tried all these different other formats, including Texas, which isn't that close to home. They still had to travel away. Uh, and then they came back to North Wilkesboro. This and North Wilkesboro turned out to not be that great of a race to watch. Um, <clears throat> so... It's, it's going to continue to evolve. I think NASCAR wants to keep the, the all-star race. Uh, they want to have an all-star race like like they have in other sports. It's not a, a stick-and-ball type of a sport, but they do have their, their top uh, drivers, if you will, and this is a chance to cho- showcase those top drivers that are in the field and show what they can do. Um, and... And I, I don't know. I think that it has to continue to evolve. Um, they can give them the week off, give them a chance to rest up before the sixth biggest race of the year. It takes a lot of stamina to be able to win that uh, Coke 600. So maybe they give them the week off instead and not have an all-star race. But I guarantee you if they don't have an all-star race, fans are going to start wanting one. Uh, a way to showcase NASCAR's top drivers. Um, I, I don't know what the answer is, but I, I do. I know that Mike brings up a good point. They've tried different tracks. They've tried different formats. Uh, fans see it as gimmicky and and uh, not really fulfilling to them as as viewers of the sport. Um, and I know NASCAR's got to be scratching their head on what they can do different because one would think that North Wilkesboro Speedway would be a great place for an all-star race uh, for NASCAR's top drivers, but it didn't happen. So I really don't know what the answer is, but I'd hate to see them go to the point that they just give the drivers this weekend off before the um, uh, 600, uh, the Coke 600. Um Jay, you have any thoughts on how they can fix this? <laughs> well, I got a whole bunch of thoughts, and I'm not going to get interrupted since we're doing the podcast all together. We don't have to take the break there, so <laughs> we don't get, get that interruption. But going back to Charlotte, as they did need to change it, in my opinion, that was when it wasn't working as an all-star event because, in my opinion, it became a test session for mile-and-a-half tracks, as well as specifically the Coca-Cola 600. Um, And now it has become where it's NASCAR that actually kind of use it as a testing session for different things. We've seen the choose cone, uh, I know, was one of them. The double-file restarts, I believe, was was another one. Different things like that, uh, I think the stage racing kind of came into play. So I think there is a purpose to it. The one thing I think, how do I say this? that the change needs to be is in the fans' mindset. As Sharon's been talking about with the drivers, need to change their, their mindset. The fans, 
They didn't want the gimmicks. They wanted straight-up racing. You got that this weekend. It was 200 laps. They did have one break. That's what you got. What is the all-star race supposed to be? Showcase the top drivers and their talent. Kyle Larson showcased his. So, to me, I mean, that's where it comes into of I don't know what you can give the fans. Um, now, it is a non-points fan exhibition race. That's why I was okay with, I know people want to label it as gimmicks and this and that of different formats because that is. And Kyle Larson said it. He didn't have a problem with that. And he is one that even having won at North Wilkesboro said he would rather see it at a new, a new venue again, because that again showcases the talent. All the drivers were on the same level playing field. Nobody had raced at North Wilkesboro in a cup car. I know some drivers have some experience there, but in a cup car, in that type of, of situation, if you go to a new track, everybody's on the same level. The, the cream is going to rise to the top, and that's what happened. Well, fans aren't happy with that. Well, change it up where they have to invert and work their way through the field. Then fans say it's gimmicky. What, what is it the fans want? That's what I don't understand. Other than to see side-by-side, bumper-to-bumper, banging and pushing and shoving every lap of a 200-lap of a, of a race. And that's just not going to happen. But I think there are some things that are very beneficial. Oh, there's one other one. Going back to, uh, Mike said it, the speciality of it. It was in part through sponsorships. Obviously, they, they run a special paint scheme or a different paint uh, sponsor scheme for that weekend. Well, you don't have that anymore because there are so very few that carry one consistent paint scheme and sponsor throughout the year. We're seeing that throughout the season already. So that is one aspect that did change just based on the nature of sponsorship. Um, it was kind of like the throwback weekend. You waited to see what the all-star paint scheme was going to be. Well, now we see that throughout the year. It's kind of tough to differentiate that. Um, but I still think it, it has value. Um, I'm a big fan, and I'm not the one having to pay the bill or do the logistics, but I'm with Kyle of go to a different track, a different venue, something you haven't done before. Um, in an attempt to, again, drivers and teams have to step up and perform better than anybody. Okay, Mike, your follow-up? I see what Jay's saying about trying to go to a different venue, but from a logistics standpoint, it's going to be really difficult to do so. Uh, there are very few tracks in the country that are capable of handling a NASCAR Cup Series race in terms of the number of people show up, the facilities that are required, et cetera. North Wilkesboro was kind of creaking at the seams. They did an outstanding job. I, I want to say that very clearly. North Wilkesboro did a phenomenal job at handling the demand there, but I think they were probably at their limits about, of, of what they could handle. So if you tried to go to somewhere like Hickory, I don't think Hickory has a chance just because they don't have the capability without millions and millions of dollars of investment, which is what they dumped into North Wilkesboro to get to where it's at. I don't think you could go to a place that the Cup Series doesn't already go to and hold an all-star race there, at least not at the level that we've come to expect for a NASCAR Cup Series type event. Now, the other option that you could potentially do is well, don't, don't race NASCAR Cup Series cars. And that might be – it might give them the novelty of something different for the all-star race. Because right now, it's the same drivers driving the same cars for the same teams at, if not one of the same tracks that they always go to, at least one that kind of smells the same. So, yes, North Wilkesboro, they haven't been to North Wilkesboro in 27 years, but it's still an, a, a, a regular NASCAR Cup Series-style track. 
put them in go-karts. I think fans would be entertained to see them. Maybe, maybe not a go-kart, but you know what I mean? Something different, something we don't see every day, something that the teams aren't necessarily prepared for. And that would really allow the drivers to showcase their talents from a logistic and sponsor standpoint. I don't know how realistic that is, but right now the current model of driving, having the same cars and the same teams and the same drivers I don't know that there's a way to make that work because they've thrown a whole lot of stuff at the wall and really nothing has stuck. Uh, it's, it's at the point now where the, the, there's a lot of hype for the all-star race. Every single year they try and hype it up. It's, it's almost like the Daytona 500 with how hard they hype that all-star race up and the disconnect between what it's promised to be and what it delivers year after year after year. It just, it, it almost becomes a fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me kind of thing for fans to the point where if they're not already burned out by this all-star race, it probably can't take much more to get them to do that. So without a substantial change in how it's conducted, I don't know how many more years NASCAR continue, can continue to, to lay eggs with this thing and still have the fans coming back for more. I think North Wilkesboro, the, the excitement about it was more about being North Wilkesboro, not necessarily that it was the all-star race. If they had moved it back to Charlotte, there were 30,000 people at North Wilkesboro. I would be surprised if there were 30,000 people that showed up to Charlotte for this all-star race if it was there, just because that's what the fan interest seems to be in this race anymore. So without some substantial changes to what they do, and I don't know what those changes are, or at least what realistic changes could be made, I don't know that the all-star race does have much of a future. Okay. On a, on a kind of a funny note, when you were talking about getting in go-karts, uh, go I thought, oh, bumper cars. Uh, people want bumping and banging. Let's put them in bumper cars. Um, but honestly, it it, it really is uh, kind of uh, a head scratcher as to what can be done. And and maybe Jay hit on something when he said uh, maybe as fans we need to go into it with a a, a different perspective. Um, you know, it is an exhibition race. It's not meant to be a points-paying race. Uh, it's meant to showcase the, the top drivers within the sport, and it's meant to be something that's fun. Um, and I know if, if maybe we shouldn't expect the best racing during the All-Star race, which sounds it sounds like an oxymoron. We're putting on an All-Star race and not expecting the best racing. Um, it it just doesn't there's just something about it that's not working apparently for NASCAR or for the fans uh and and I don't know that there is an answer um so you know I'm all for changing a perspective I I could go into the race not expecting uh maybe the net best racing just looking at the history of what's happened with the all-star race I'm okay with that just having it as an exhibition race, and we go there to just have fun, uh, to just watch a race and see who comes out on top and who, and and you go home and you had a good day, um, depending on how you're looking at it when you go in. Um, we're we're not expecting them to be, and maybe that's part of it as well. The drivers maybe are a little bit more relaxed about it as well, because it's not a points paying race. A lot of times, drivers put in an extra effort because they're looking to gain points, or they're looking not to lose points, um, and they're not they're going into this race and they're not looking to gain points. They're not looking to gain anything. Um, and so I think that plays into this as well. You don't have drivers 
uh, necessarily looking to do that bumping and banging that you might see in a points-paying race uh, because they're not points racing. Um, so that definitely plays into this as well. These drivers have a more, more relaxed attitude when they're racing these races. A driver's mentality says that they want to win every race that they get into, and that's what Kyle Larson has. Kyle Larson uh, gets into a race car. He doesn't care if there's points or not. He's out there to win the race, and he went out there and he won the race. Uh, but not all drivers ha- have that way of thinking necessarily. Um, if this is an exhibition race, they're out there putting on the exhibition, and and that's what it amounts to. Um, I don't know what the answer is, uh, but I'm okay with changing my expectations of what we can expect in an all-star race. Jay? Well, one one thing, uh, as you guys talked about, uh, you and Mike both kind of hit on maybe the drivers don't put in that 100%. Go back to the open, Ty Gibbs and Michael McDowell. I mean, Michael McDowell ran the risk of possible suspension because what he was doing was very close to what Denny Hamlin did uh, with Ross Chastain, as well as back at Matt Kenseth and uh, Joey Logano. I mean, he let, he wanted to make sure Ty Gibbs did not get in, um, no matter what the cost. But he didn't. He said he didn't have the money to pay the fine and whatever, so he didn't complete it. But he definitely let it be known, and he was there to, to raise his way in. So I don't know that that's fully the case. We saw Ryan Blaney at Texas drive one-handed because he was holding his window net up with the other hand. So <laughs> I think the intensity is still there. Um, there are, you know, as we look at this year, we're going to have a street course. Uh, we've gone to a place like North Wilkesboro, race within the Coliseum. If NASCAR really wants to go outside the box, and I don't remember if it was last year or the year before, I actually called into Dave Moody's show um, when his, and Sharon doesn't have the beat button, but wild butt hair idea day of what to do to fix it. Uh, one thing I heard, if it's at a track like Charlotte, have them run in the dirt tra- on the dirt track for qualifying in order to qualify for the cup event. I gave my theory of, cannonball run style all the drivers that are in it meet in daytona give them a rental car and they got to get to charlotte first one there gets the pole you know i mean there is a lot of things you could do that are really outside the box uh my one for this year would be turn it into an outlaw race but that doesn't to me doesn't necessarily showcase the driver then um but run what you brung uh, you know, let let Jeff Gordon's T-Rex car come back. I uh, never did hear what was exactly wrong with that car other than don't bring it back. But then it kind of becomes more of who can outspend who, not who can outdrive who. So there's uh, – but that would also generate fan interest from that side of it, if you will. So there, there's some possibilities, uh, you know, what you want to do and what you want to get out of it. That's for, up for NASCAR. Um, with it going back to North Wilkesboro, if they go back there, I'm all for them if they go back there for a couple of years, just like they did at Texas, uh, Bristol, whatever, um, for the reason of logistics or whatever. I still would like to see them just go to a different track. Uh, there's a couple that I think wouldn't take a whole lot of work, and I think Iowa, um, Nashville, maybe Memphis. I know they were in the, in the midst of some upgrades that it wouldn't take as much as North Wilkesboro. Um, but if they do go back there, I do think they need to change up the format. 
I am one. We saw it. Kyle Larson had to come from the back. I've always kind of been a fan of inversion. Make the fast guy come from the back and run through the field. And it's not like they're going to run over slow cars that aren't competitive because you've got the 24 best of the best. So um, I think that's, I think that's one that kind of does as well as when they did the points for different segments. And then you restack at the end of the, the four segments based on points you've earned. I've seen that at many different dirt tracks in the way they do programs because then you can't sandbag because you may get inverted once, but if you're building points for all three or four segments to get to the final segment to, to have it out, you got to earn points all the way through. So there was some value to that. It didn't always necessarily play out the best on track, um, but they at least tried it. And I think that's what they need to look at of see what they can do to possibly bring back some fan interest as well as keep it about the drivers and their talent. Um, and that's why I think just going to a new track is the, is the thing. Okay. Uh, we've got time for another topic, Mike. You got something on your mind? I don't know that we needed to go two full rounds on this. We could just make this a quick announcement and then move on to a different one. But I would be remiss if I didn't highlight the fact that Alex Bowman will be back this weekend for the Coke 600, returning to the number 48. Okay, Jay, your thoughts about Alex Bowman? Uh, I'm happy to see him back. I just uh, I know Eric Almirola, one that has suffered a back injury, was very leery about it. Uh, the Coca-Cola 600 being a longer longer race, the pit stops. They talk about how much jostling you do on a pit stop when the jack drops, as well as Charlotte being a little bit of a rough track and then the length of it. Uh, I, I pray that he's ready. Uh, you know, and I know he got clearance from through this session in the medical. Uh, I just hope that he is ready. Uh, happy to see him back because, uh, again, uh, he's the driver of the number 48. They are still in the playoff hunt. I believe he's 17th in points. I don't remember, 17th ranked. I don't remember how many points out. And has been given the medical waiver. So be a storyline to watch as it progresses of where he comes out as far as the playoffs. And can get back to form? I know they mentioned Chase Elliott um, saying just sitting on the couch, you kind of lose – not your driving edge, but just your endurance edge. So uh, I hope he's ready, and we'll see how he does. Okay. Yeah, I'm I'm glad that Alex is coming back. I like Alex as a driver, and um, uh, I think Josh Berry did a fantastic job for him uh, in that car, and uh, I hope he gets a cup ride next year. Uh, but, yeah, I'm glad to see Alex Bowman come back to his number 48 car and uh, be able to race. Uh, I, I agree he might have lost a little bit uh, from watching on the couch, but I bet he was uh, very busy trying to uh, keep up his his uh, um, racer's edge, I guess, if you will, uh, for uh, coming back to racing. Um, and I hope. I hope that uh, he does well when he comes back. Uh, I think I'm a little surprised that they would bring him back for the Coke 600, which is the longest race of the year. I hope that Josh is on standby in case he needs to come out. Uh, But I I don't think that they would bring him back unless they thought he was ready. So, uh, But I've been through a back injury. I know how long it takes to kind of recover from those things. Um, I know his was a, a fracture. I don't know that he had an actual break, but it, uh, it still takes time for that to heal and uh, for him to be, get back to his top form. But uh, I'm glad he's back in the car. Mike? 
So you got to say the Coke 600 is a, a, a bad race for him to come back. I would actually say that this is one of the better races for him to come back. And the reason for that is, like you said, Josh Berry will almost certainly be on standby to cover for Alex Bowman. So if Alex gets in the car, maybe makes the decision early of, hey, this, this is not working. I got to go. He gets out of the car. There's still a lot of race left for Josh Berry to capitalize and race that 48 back up to get to a good finishing position. If, uh, if Alex had come back at Phoenix, a 300-mile race at, at Phoenix, it's a lot more difficult for a relief driver to get in the car and capitalize and get a good finish for that team because there's just so few laps available for them to do so. With the Coke 600, you've got 400 laps available to you. So if Alex does the first, I don't know, 100, runs stage one, gets out of the car, now Josh Berry has 300 laps, almost a full cup race at pretty much any other venue that he can go and capitalize at in that and hopefully get a good finish for that 48 team. And, oh, by the way, don't forget, Alex Bowman gets the points for that. He does, if, if Josh Berry goes and wins the race, Alex doesn't get qualified for the playoffs. But the 48 team is, like you said, 17th or so in the current point standings. He still potentially could point his way into the playoffs even without a win. So it is very important that Alex Bowman get back in the car, medically, being medically cleared, of course, but very important that he gets back in the car and starts accumulating those points so he doesn't lose more ground in those playoff standings. And even without a win, that 48 team still has the opportunity to race for a championship. So, yes, Charlotte and the Coke 600 are very physically demanding racetrack, but with the opportunity of having so many additional laps, I think it does give that 48 team a chance to get Alex in the car, accumulate points, but maybe pull Alex out and give him basically another week to recover without losing the, the points position that they could otherwise get. Yeah, I think that's a good point um, about Josh Berry, and, and maybe this is a good time for him to come back. Um, Jay, did you have anything more you wanted to say? Not on that one, but we got 10 minutes, so I know you hit on it. Uh, Josh Berry getting a cup ride. Here's the dot, the crossing the T's and dotting the I's to Stuart Haas Racing, which we've heard uh, kind of rumbling of, of coming. Okay, Mike, your thoughts? I, I, I missed that Jay had posted that a little bit earlier. I actually posted the same thing in our group chat because it's big news. We've talked about Josh Berry being a potential cup series driver. Dale Jr. has obviously been singing his praises for several years, saying that this guy is a cup-level talent. He needs to be in a cup series ride. He got an opportunity subbing for Hendrick Motorsports with Chase Elliott and Alex Bowman. But realistically, not just the Hendrick Motorsports, but the entire Chevrolet camp, there's really not a lot of opportunities for Josh Berry to get in a Chevrolet, especially a competitive one. So unless there were a team to add another car, which I don't know that there's any teams in the financial position to do so, if Josh Berry wanted to go Cup Series racing, it was likely that he was going to need to leave Chevrolet to do so. It looks like Ford is going to get a big pickup with Alex or with uh, Josh Berry leaving Hendrick Motorsports, leaving Chevrolet, and moving over to drive a Ford for Stuart Haas Racing. Big, big win for Ford. Now, there's no indication about which car Josh Barrow could potentially slide into. We know Kevin Harvick is retiring this year, so therefore the four-car is open. No replacement driver has been announced for the four-car as of yet. So the assumption is potentially Josh Barry to the number four at Stuart Haas. However, 
Remember Eric Amarola tried to retire at the end of last season but got talked into coming back for at least another year. Details of that deal that brought Amarola back are a little bit fuzzy, but Stuart Haas could potentially have two cars available to fill, the number four and the number 10. So Josh Berry could potentially end up in the number 10 as a replacement for Eric Amarola. The complication with Josh Berry going into the number 10 was that as far as I know, he doesn't have any or at least not any significant sponsorship associated with him. We know Eric Almirola has Smithfield Foods, been a longtime sponsor with Almirola that followed him from the number 43 at Richard Petty over to Stuart Haas Racing on the number 10. Josh Berry doesn't bring that kind of funding to the table. So whether Stuart Haas would have a car like the number 10 filled with a driver that doesn't bring sponsorship – I don't know what that, what that picture looks like. Obviously, that's a, a financial decision for Stuart Haas to make. But like Dale Jr. said, if you're a Cup Series owner and you want to race for a championship, you put Josh Berry in your car. I'm really interested to see what he does with a full season at the NASCAR Cup Series level. He's done fairly well uh, subbing in for Chase Elliott and Alex Bowman. It was a bit of a learning curve, but we really saw his skills on display this past weekend at North Wilkesboro where he ended up winning the All-Star Open and not just fluked into it, he had a very good competitive car, drove it very well, and earned that win. So I think having that full-time season at Stuart Haas Racing with quality equipment under him, I don't know that he's necessarily going to be a championship contender next year, but it's going to give him a great opportunity to showcase his talents. Yeah, I think it's going to be a huge loss for Chevy, unfortunately. I know Hendrick Motorsports would love to have him in their group, uh, but I don't think it's going to happen. I I'd be surprised if it happens. Let me put it that way. I think that uh, Josh Berry is probably going to end up uh, with Stuart Haas Racing, and uh, he's either going to be in that uh, uh, 41 or he's going to be in the number 10. <clears throat> and so I, I think it is going to be interesting uh, to see how this continues to play out. I know a lot of people are speculating uh, that it's there's an article here, I guess, uh, from Jordan uh, Biace, uh saying that he feels like they're pretty close to finalizing a cup deal at SHR. Uh, and if that does happen, uh, he's an insider. He talks. He he's real good at talking with a lot of different people and getting what the deal is. So I trust that. Um, but it's it's speculation at this point. But I do think uh, that that's where he's going to end up is in is with Ford. Ford has been doing a lot. They they kind of got in a position where they're kind of behind the curve a little bit, uh, and they're trying to build uh, so that they're not behind the curve as much as they have been. Um, and these things kind of go into cycles. Uh, you know, Ford will be on the high side for a while and Chevy will be down and Toyota, uh, will be in there somewhere in the middle. But I, I do think that this is Ford making an attempt to rebuild and to get themselves back on the higher side of that curve. And, uh, uh we're going to see Josh Berry at Stuart Haas Racing. Uh, Jay? Well, yeah, that's what the speculation has been there for a while. There's been a couple of comments. Um, I think Kevin Harvick, when he was in the booth um, for one of the Xfinity races, had kind of let something slip. Their announcement of his replacement would be coming around this time frame. Um, so that, that fire has been building. Uh, I think, like I said, I think it's just crossing the T's and dotting the I's at this point. 
as you said, uh-huh. Jordan Bianca, uh, a very credible and uh, reliable source when it comes to something like that. The thing I want to hit on is, and you both mentioned it, and Sharon, you you made a mistake. I, I normally don't like to point out mistakes, but you said the number 31 at Stuart Haas. 31 isn't at Stuart Haas. That is the college racing machine of yeah that's but it's the the college racing uh 31 of justin haley and i don't want to take anything away from him but that's where i think chevy needed to step up and get involved uh college racing has been known to say they go trophy hunting well josh berry gets some trophies if chevrolet really wanted to keep him i think that's where he should have gone however didn't happen and i think ford has got, got the coup uh like you said of that's a big win, win for Ford and a loss for Chevrolet is my biggest takeaway from it. Uh, I'm happy for him. Um, you know, I'm sure Dale Jr. is on that same side of it. Happy for Josh Berry as a driver, getting the opportunity and a good team to go to cup racing, but on the other hand, takes a hit from Chevrolet side of it. Mike, follow up. Well, it's a tough position for Chevrolet to be in because, like Jay said, really the only potential outlet for, would be to let one of their drivers go. Who do you let go? Well, you got some underperforming drivers in Ricky Stenhouse. Yes, he won the Daytona 500, but other than that, the JTG number 47 has been somewhat lackluster since then. Uh, you've got the 31 of Justin Haley at Colleague Racing. Again, has shown speed here and there, but generally not wonderful. And even A.J. Allmendinger in the 16, I don't know that, that Matt Colley would let either one of those drivers go because of the relationship that he has with them, having basically built the entire organization around them at the Xfinity Series level. So other than that, where do you put them? Legacy Motor Club is leaving Chevrolet to go to Toyota next year, so there's two fewer Chevrolets that are available. Unfortunately for Chevrolet, it's kind of the same position Toyota was in a couple of years ago where they have this overabundance of extremely talented drivers and really nowhere to plug them into, and they ended up losing a few of their very talented drivers. William Byron, Eric Jones, Daniel Suarez all left of the Toyota camp because there simply wasn't a place for them to go and develop and become those outstanding drivers with Toyota. Well, Chevrolet's in the similar position right now where – They've got several very strong Chevrolet teams with long-term strong drivers who are uh, signed to long-term contracts. There's really no place for an extremely talented driver like Josh Berry to go. Well, that's Chevy's loss and Ford's gain at that point. Whether in hindsight we look at, man, they they really should have fired Justin Haley and put uh, Josh Berry in that uh, number 31. Well, we might have that answer here, but probably it's going to be a few years to get that. Kind of, kind of got to take what you got right now. And in Chevrolet's case, unfortunately, they're going to have to let Josh Berry go because you can't contain somebody like that. He's going to go somewhere, and if you don't have a place for him, he's going to go somewhere else. And it looks like that somewhere else is going to be Stuart Haas Racing with a Ford. Yeah, and I've, I've alluded to this earlier, but uh, you remember about a year or two ago, uh, a lot of the executives from Ford moved over to Chevy. And when that happened, Ford lost its edge, and that's why they're in this rebuilding phase that they're in right now. Uh, so <laughs> it's whoever gets the last laugh here. Uh, I think Ford now is reaching out to some of these Chevy drivers and giving them nice opportunities. Uh, they reached out to Legacy Motor Club, and they're switching them over from Chevy uh, or actually, that's Toyota. Uh, Legacy Motor Club is leaving Chevy and going to Toyota, but um, 
you've got uh, Chevy losing some drivers in that deal as well. So I I just think that it's part of the reason why these things are cyclical the way that they are. Uh, and we've talked about it before with driver development. A lot of times they've got these up-and-coming drivers coming up through the system, but they've got nowhere for these drivers to go to uh, when they get to the point that they're ready to go into the NASCAR Cup Series. So we know that there's a few retirements uh, kind of on the edge here, uh, and some spots will be opening up, but that's limited. It's going to be limited for the number of drivers that are coming up through the system. So it's a little bit of a battle between the manufacturing uh, organizations here. And we'll see how it, how it ends up. But Ford is, is uh, building their platform uh, for them not to, kind of behind, not to be behind the curve and to kind of take over the top it, it is where they want to be. So, Jay, you get the final word here, and then we'll close out. Boy, the more more you guys talk, the more I think Chevrolet might have dropped the ball. Going back to college racing, uh, Mike mentioned A.J. Allmendinger. It wasn't his goal to go back full-time cup racing. He was quite happy being in the Xfinity Series, so he might have willingly stepped aside um, with that with that ride. Ricky Stenhouse is one that actually was at one point rumored to be possibly heading to Stuart Haas Racing. Um, due to his outside racing interest like Tony Stewart. Um, so that would have opened up the college racing, which has its own sponsorship conglomerate of sponsors um, that wouldn't necessarily need a, a sponsor-driven driver. So uh, I think Chevrolet might have really dropped the ball. We'll see how he does uh, if he goes into the Ford, which we anticipate, um, how he comes out next year. But I'm thinking Chevy might look back on this as one that got away. Okay, with that, uh, we're ready to uh, do our roundtable or our triangle here. Uh, Mike, what do you got for us? I know you've sure, I've got an Mike, article for you. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, Mike underscore Zell on Twitter, Mike underscore O on Reddit. Like you said, Sharon, I've got an article going through the final stages of editing, recapping my experience at North Worksboro. It's going to be a little bit of a lengthy read, and it's really difficult for me to convey the experience that I had there. I did my very best in there. But that's one of those things you, you really have to experience. So hopefully you get out of it at least a taste of what I got out of it because it was one of the best experiences I've ever had in a NASCAR Cup Series race. Okay, that's fantastic. Jay? Well, Mike, definitely can't wait to read that, and I understand uh, that's one of those of it you can't exactly put into to word the experience of something like that. that I, and I can only imagine, uh, I know you spent – messages back throughout the weekend there uh we could tell how much you were enjoying it can't wait to read that um this weekend uh, you can follow me as always on facebook michael hoosman mopar mj8 on twitter and instagram hopefully weather permitting that darn our word be at your capital city raceway jackson motor speedway on saturday uh if not i will be right here in town at magnolia motor speedway home of the black ice as they are running two days this weekend so i'll be there on sunday for the 602 World Championship. So, as I said earlier, a lot of racing going on this weekend if uh, we don't let Mother Nature win it. Okay. And I am Fan for Racing site on Twitter, uh, Fan for Racing blog and radio everywhere else, including our website, fanforracing.com. And um, 
uh, first of all, I want to do a big shout out to you guys. I really appreciate your flexibility today and and work in in getting our podcast on. Uh, done today, and we'll put it out uh, in time for our regular show, uh, the regular time that we put our show out, uh, so that uh, we can still have that preview and review, uh, because we didn't do the show on Monday, uh, out tonight. Uh, and uh, we'll be doing podcast again next week uh, from a programming note. I know uh, Sal's not going to be available on Tuesday, so we'll probably do the podcast on on uh, Tuesday, uh, like, and I'll get in touch with you on times. And same thing with Thursday. Mike uh, um, Jay is not available on Thursday night, so we're going to put together the podcast earlier in the day. So uh, from a, a fan perspective, if you're looking for our programs, uh, they will be po- podcast for next week. I did some have someone reach out to me for a guest slot, so we may have a guest uh, that will be able to join us for our podcast, so I'm kind of excited about that possibility, and uh, we'll keep you up to date with that as time goes on here as well. Uh, but look for podcasts for both of our shows next week, uh, and uh, we're, we're always enjoy doing these, so uh, another shout-out to all of our listeners for tuning in. We do appreciate it, whether it's the live broadcast or our podcast. Um, as I always say, we hope you enjoy listening as much as we enjoy doing these shows. So uh, thank you from that perspective. But we will be back. I know Monday is Memorial Day, so look for our podcast to come out sometime on Tuesday. And uh, we'll put the podcast out on Thursday as well. So uh, with that, uh, I uh, Mike will probably get your article. If not done today, I'll definitely get it out there sometime tomorrow. Okay? With All that, we're right. ready Sounds to great. Up. Have a good one. Enjoy. Enjoy the weekend. Okay. Goodbye, everybody. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.